Welcome back to yet another episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. I'm your co-host, Dave Kale, and we're back again uh, in our 12-episode um, sprint through the uh, script outlines that have That's been right. planned for season two of the Silmarillion Film Project. Um, of course, originally the plan was to go through all of these in, I think, one episode. No, <laughs> then we revised and said two. And then I think we got about halfway through the ones we planned to do last time. <laughs> so I, I think the I think we're ultimately going to end up having an entire separate season of the podcast <laughs> to go through the script outlines for the that we generated as a result of the previous podcast season. But you know, it's just more content for you, the listener. So really, it we're thinking. Funny, of you I guys. was thinking about. Oh my God, season three is going to be what? Like we're going to start it in like June. <laughs> <laughs> it's true if, if we start if we start averaging a year and a half of real time <laughs> per season of the Silmarillion film project um then uh you know we're definitely going to have to be leaving this show to our grandchildren yes <laughs> but the good news is i pretty much never have to come up with a new podcast idea again because here we are and here we shall remain that's great uh no thanks everybody and um uh, so yeah, this is this is uh, this is this is cool. I do think the over under for number of episodes we will, number of sessions we will take to do the uh, uh, the episode outlines is three. So I, I, I think I, I I'm, I'm confident, super confident that we will make it uh, in three. Um, so uh, quick. So before we start, quick two announcements, uh, uh, which are really cool. One, which is kind of urgent and uh, sort of exciting, is I so I had mentioned that uh, Rowan Flieger was doing her uh, two-session seminar uh, called Tolkien in the Dark. I mentioned this, I believe, last week. Um, and the first one was meant to be last Monday. Uh, so she's doing two sessions. She's doing a, It's called Tolkien in the Dark because she's looking at some of the, 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 the really quite strikingly dark and, and different, very different from the feel of uh, you know, pretty much anything else Tolkien wrote um, that he did in his early days, uh, namely the story of Kulervo. And the lay of Eotru and Etrun, the the, uh, the the Breton lay that he wrote, which almost nobody's read. So um, these are things that are going to be like sort of help you to see Tolkien in a new light, see him working through and struggling with you know different things that we you know and 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 especially early. The story of Kulervo is the first thing Tolkien ever wrote that we have. I mean, it, it is it is before the Book of Lost Tales. It is this is like Tolkien being like, hey, I think I'll write stories. I mean, it's that early in Tolkien's career. So um, uh, you're, you're looking at like teenage Tolkien essentially. Uh, when you're reading uh, Kulervo, so it's pretty amazing. Anyway, um, her sessions, her first session, the session on Kulervo, was meant to be last, last this past Monday, the sixth. Uh, but we had a catastrophic technical failure on Monday, uh, and uh, uh, our, our 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 Netmoot program just would not cooperate at all, uh, and we ended up having to postpone it. So it's been postponed to Monday. So this coming Monday, February thirteenth at five thirty, uh, 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 Dr. Flieger is going to be doing her Coolervo seminar, and then on Thursday, uh, uh, the sixteenth. At 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, she's going to do the Lay of Eotru and Etrun. So you're going to get uh, a chance to, to be with Dr. Flieger twice this coming week and, uh, and hear both of those. So if you uh, missed it last week, you didn't miss it, turns out. So that's cool. Um, 
anyway, good. So, uh, so that's uh, that's 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 going to be awesome. The other thing I wanted to draw your attention to is MythMoot. So the MythMoot uh, preliminary program has been released. If you would like to get a glimpse of some of the awesome things that we have planned uh, for MythMoot you can check that out. So if you go to the MythMoot page on MythGuard.org, or if you go to SignumUniversity.org and scroll down just a tiny bit uh, to the events area, you can see a link to the MythMoot page there also, and you can download our preliminary program, which is awesome. I am so excited about MythMoot. I hope you guys will, uh, I hope that many of you will get a chance to come and join us there. All right, but let's jump back into the... May I, uh, may I the, now yes. add... Sure. May I add a film film announcement? Oh, um, yeah, sure. Oh, I yeah. wanted to let everybody know that the voting the voting for casting will be open later today. This All is right. the, what is it, the, the 10th of, uh, is today the 10th? No, is it the 10th? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, it is I guess it is. Um, and it's going to be open for three weeks. So because we because we're having that extra script session, that's that's good news because that allows the folks that are listening asynchronously. So you go to the to the board, same forum, casting forum. You'll see specifically uh, season two casting poll or something to that effect when you go in when it, it's opened up. And there are some great nominations. So go in, do your research, cast your vote, and we will close voting in three weeks' time. And then the week after that will be our um, will be our casting show. So great. That's that. great. Yeah. So you go to somefilm.mythgard.org, right? And then you go to is right. the casting is the casting a I'm I'm forgetting the architecture is the casting a top casting forum? is a separate forum okay so you click on fat casting and then under season two there will be a, 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 a specific it's not there yet but it will be when you you'll know it's open when you see the the, the thread called season two casting vote casting or something right. like that something about voting right <laughs> and then just click in there and what it'll be in there actually is the link to the to the survey so it's a survey monkey survey so you just click in and then click through to the survey and it's just multiple choice you know click 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 and then uh, of course all of the nominations and the reasonings behind and the photos and information about all the nominations are on the discussion board so you can always refer back to that yeah awesome that'll be good i can't wait i i, I usually um i usually wait to look until like the you know because we get to make the final vote so i wait yeah. until the final vote comes in and then uh, then I go through and look, and right. it's always it's always fun. Um, There's some great, great nominations. Oh, my gosh, you guys have done just an awesome job, and I'm feeling really old because there are quite a few that I don't recognize. <laughs> oh, oh, wonderful. <laughs> I know. There are know, quite a few that but... I do not recognize also. So I thought we were <laughs> – Oh, good. I don't know. It's so bad. I thought we were just going to resurrect old actors with CGI. Well, yeah. I mean, now that we, you know, now that we have the Admiral Tarkin option, I, I think, you know, we can we can stop leaning on the younger God. generation. You know, such a bummer. We could have had Humphrey Bogart as as Manway. <laughs> no. Yeah, I see. We're getting we're getting lots of emphatic no's from our. But, but you know, it's funny. The execs are all like you know cutting edge, and the you know the 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 project team are all like conservative and stuffy. You know, what's up with that? Boy, not only that, but it's like no. I know we're getting we're getting yelled at here in text form. Boy. Oh this well. Is, this is... This is how it works. Though. I get a bite. You're just gonna get a. Interestingly enough, I think. Oh, I was just okay. gonna say. I think it was Hakon. 
there's somebody, I think it was Hakon that was the one that did this, but a lot of, and I think appropriately, Norwegian actors, which I just love. Ah, cool. So, anyway. Cool. So, go to, not, not us, not the execs, but everybody else, go check it out, because right. there's a lot of really good nominations, and it'll take a while to kind of go through and plow through, and people have included their IMDb pages and all that stuff. Very, very interesting stuff. Anyway, so. Yeah, cool. That's that. Okay. All right. So I wanted to start. We have a bunch of really interesting things. To, like there are a bunch of really interesting issues that the outlines uh, raise, at least raised in my mind this week. And but first, I wanted to share something. Kind of picking up on. And I know, like probably, you're going to be thinking that we already talked about this too much last week. But I don't care um, because I want to go back to Sauron for a minute. Because see, here's the story. I am this year, as I uh, explained on my social media accounts a while back, I've decided to do it. Normally I do it my Tolkien reread. Like I've been rereading the Silmarillion Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings every year starting in January for decades now. Um, but this year I decided I wanted to do something a little more fun and ambitious. So I've decided to try to do a rough, not a really, really thorough yet because I don't have time to compile the spreadsheet, but uh, to do a uh, a rough whole uh, chronological reread of the entire Tolkien corpus. So I started with the story of Kurvo and um, and now I'm in the Book of Lost Tales. And I'm going to go forward that way. So I'm going to do the whole Middle-earth, uh, history of Middle-earth thing and all the ancillary texts and everything in chronological order. It's going to be really fun. Uh, anyway. That won't be confusing at no, no, it won't be confusing at all. Well, see, Nick, I'm I'm kind of I've given up on the confusion thing because I'm teaching a class on the Fellowship of the Ring at the same time as I'm teaching a class on the Return of the Shadow and talking about the Silmarillion and the Silmarillion film project. So I'm just, and you know, and and, and, and but it's, of course it's no different from in previous months. You know, when I've been teaching the Lost Road and re, and like teaching the 1937 Quintus Silmarillion at the same time that I'm trying to work through the published Silmarillion here. So I'm just so confused all the time that I've just embraced it and decided to, you know, to sort of accept it as a way of life. So anyway, um, so I'm, 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 I'm reading the Book of Lost Tales and I just finished volume one of the Book of Lost Tales the other day. And in the last chapter of the Book of Lost Tales, uh, part one, uh, is uh, Gilfonan's Tale, which is the, 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 the travail of the Noldoli and the coming of men. But here's the, here's the paragraph that really kind of, I would say, jumped off the page, except, of course, I was listening to it. So here's the, uh, I could say it jumped out of my iPhone, but, of course, it, it's meant to do that. That's how I read it. Anyhow, um, never mind. Here's the paragraph that really struck me. Now the tale tells of a certain fay and names him too, the wizard. This is, of course, the, uh, the, the, the person from whom Sauron ultimately will be derived. And names him to the wizard, for he was more skilled in magics than any that have ever that have dwelt ever yet beyond the land of Valinor. And wandering about the world, he found the uh, bit of unintelligible manuscript elves, and he drew them to him and taught them many deep things. And he became as a mighty king among them. And their tales name him the Lord of Gloaming, and all the fairies of his realm, Hisildi, or the Twilight People. So this is the guy, this is to the sorcerer who's going to become the necromancer eventually. Um, you know, he's, he's going to be cast as the necromancer and servant of Melkor. Now we have him in the, in, in the Book of Lost Tales, in this is the, which is one of the sketchiest and most fragmentary tales <clears throat> of the Book of Lost Tales. Um, but nevertheless, we have this idea of to the wizard, 
who is clearly, a, well, I mean, he's obviously shadowy. He's called the Lord of Gloaming, but morally shadowy as well. I mean, he's he's uh, he's not his like uh, uh, his he's not explicitly allied with Melkor, but he's also not clearly allied with the regular Valar either. So he's kind of his uh, his 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 loyalties are in question. But what he does is he goes about making a kingdom, um, and uh, uh, he drew the he drew the elves to him and taught them many deep things. And he became as a mighty king, and their tales name him the Lord of Gloaming. So of course, one reaction I had is, "Oh, that's really cool. I like Lord of Gloaming, right? I mean, that's a good title." Um, but um, yeah, anyway, so. I, I, I couldn't help, of course, but, you know, I read this, like, a, a couple days after we had been having our Sauron discussion last time, and it just kind of cemented in my mind the, 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 the you know, we've been kind of moving in this direction anyway, right? I mean, we've, we, we started off at the beginning of the season conceiving that, like, uh, you know, if, if, if a year ago we had had to give a one-sentence synopsis of what Sauron's activity in season two would be, we would have been, we, we would have said, well, he's, he's going to start firing up the super-secret necromantic uh, orc project, right? Because um, that's kind of where we were with that before. Um, but we've been kind of moving away from that, right? Slowly moving away from uh, the idea of him actually creating orcs, like tormenting orcs, uh, tormenting elves and, 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 and deliberately turning them into twisted orcs um, over the time. And so I'm wondering if we don't go an entire further step in that direction. Um, there is, of course, a major challenge with this, the, I, this, you know, this thing that I'm about to say, which I'm sure you'll see long before I get there. But anyway... Um, wouldn't it make sense? So just thinking about Sauron in the abstract, especially Sauron as we have him here. Remember, Sauron, the newly fallen, right? The newly allegiance changed, but not yet entirely corrupted himself, Sauron, who still believes that he's doing the right thing, you know, that he's doing the best thing anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, that he is... Uh, Melkor's gone, right? So he still adheres to Melkor's vision. I don't think he would see himself as keeping the seat warm for Melkor. He may believe that Melkor might return someday, but I don't think he's necessarily counting on it. I mean, Melkor got hauled off in chains, so but, so he's kind of the boss now, and I don't think he would be uh, he would have any problem with being the boss now. So anyway, so here he is in Middle-earth, and there are the elves. Right, so what's he going to do? Is he going to capture them and torture them? I don't think he's going to capture them and torture them. I think he's going to try to make them into his servants. Um, he's going to—I mean—to uh, to to like draw them in and teach them many deep things and become as a mighty king among them. That kind of sounds like a good idea, right? Um, as far as something that he might attempt to do, that he would see them as instruments that he could use, you know, as uh, allies who would be valuable, um, as underlings, you know, as servants. Um, and uh, so he would he would approach them not in love, obviously, uh, but he would uh, he would show them he would he would want to he would I think rather awe them and get them to serve him as as faithful servants. Um, and of course, we can see an obvious distinction. Um, I love uh, it comes up and see this is me like 
uh, gently segueing into an, ep- an actual episode five thing. Um, episode five is the one wherein the Balrogs go elf hunting, which I love. So the fact that the Balrogs see it just like a sport to kill elves, because that's what they are. They're thugs. Um, and uh, whereas Sauron sees this as a shocking waste of resources... And he instead is trying to rule them. He wants to to bring as many under his sway as possible. Um, And this, by the way, is kind of more in line with what we see him wanting to do kind of for the rest of his career, right? Both with, uh, both, you think about his M.O. with Numenor, you think about his M.O. with uh, uh, Celebrimbor and the Jewelsmiths, you think about uh, the Ring of Power, right? I mean, he wants to dominate the wills of others, Um, but uh, he, you know, he wants them to serve him. Like, he, he wants to be called Lord and for them to be uh, his underlings. And so I would think that would be his goal. But again, he's not going to be doing it in Dominion necessarily. He's going to try to win them over to his side so that they can be his allies and his soldiers against the Balrogs because they are clearly his rivals uh, and he disapproves of their tactics. Now, all this I think could work out real... Oh, and by the way, then you see the stroke of tragedy that happens at the end when Melkor returns. Melkor then returns and he takes... Sauron's servants, right? The elves that he's taken and that he's been like convincing slash brainwashing and and he and Melkor then takes his elf servants and transforms them into orcs because he, Melkor, is so ticked off, right? And this we see as part of like a, a, an externalization of his own fall. Melkor's own fall. Um, and so I would think that Sauron would actually be repulsed by orcs, and he would despise orcs uh, ever afterwards. And it would be, it would be, you know, he would, he would, he would not approve. Um, so that I think would be kind of interesting. The way that Sauron gets kind of marginalized at the end, uh, and his whole plan gets kind of shot when Morgoth returns, um, which I think could set up some really interesting stuff for season three. So as I was thinking through all that stuff inspired by the Lord of Gloaming and this half paragraph in the Book of Lost Tales, uh, I thought that was all awesome. But of course, Nick, I I don't doubt you can see the obvious problem that it leaves us with uh, as far as adapting the published Silmarillion and the stuff we've already done in season one, right? Namely, so why does he do the Dark Rider thing? Why is he abducting folks? Because that doesn't seem to fit with this at all. Yeah, it also it would make it rather difficult for because that would give Melkor a very, very, very small amount of time in which to convert these even darkish elves into orcs. Right. Like as it is, the the project hasn't come into its full, you know, its full potential when he gets back, but at least there's something there and there's kind of like the pipeline already exists. <laughs> right, right, right. Sauron has made the physical plant. He just hasn't, he just hasn't done it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and well, I mean, of course, one thing we could do is he could, he could tinker with them because that's who he is, right? You know, Sauron tinkers with things. We saw him doing with the, with the werewolves before, right? Um, right. So he could be wanting to enhance them right to, to to believe he can make uh, like elf 2.0 right mm. um, which would be better you know better anti balrog soldiers um, 
and he would, you know, he did, would have learned his lesson, like, <clears throat> drug Lewin is kind of useful, but, like, ultimately it was really kind of a failed experiment. It didn't work out at all like he had planned. But, you know, he's learned from that experiment, and he thinks he can do better the second time. Um, so the idea of him doing stuff to the elves and trying to change them can already happen. But I'm not sure how much passage of time needs to happen. I mean, if, if Morgoth just comes back and exerts his... and. I, I'm, I don't know what we want to do with the process, or ha- if we want to depict the process. But I would think it's possible that the process could be relatively swift. Um, we also do get a little bit of time. Um, the We're not going to want to do... And out here we're getting sucked into like details of Season 3... Um, but there is some passage of time, like between uh, between Feanor giving his speech in Tyrion and the crossing of the Helcaraxa, say, uh, even the crossing, uh, you know, and the burning of the ships. Um, there's there's going to be some time. I mean, they have to travel up the coast and everything, and it's it's going to take it's going to take a more. You know, this is not a journey of a few days. Um, uh, <clears throat> even in the most conservative estimates, Tolkien has that taking a couple years. Um, <clears throat> which I think is going to be hard to do on film, but anyway, uh, it, it doesn't have to be instantaneous. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so so like the pipeline, having him making some alterations, right? But again, with the with the difference in mind, right? He wants to turn them into like the ultimate servants, and you know his own like. Uh, not it sounds almost like he's making drow. It's something like that, you know, or at least uh, doubtless it is uh, from the servants of, of uh, you know, the dark elf servants of Sauron that the later legends of the drow grow. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, it's 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 the kind of thing that he's wanting to do. Um, and then Melkor comes and takes it over, but he takes it over, well, not ham-fistedly in the sense that he's less competent than Sauron, but more malevolently. I mean, he's, he is ticked off. He despises the elves. And so it's his, his despising of the elves that is chiefly reflected in the elves, um, uh, in the elves, in, or in the, the hideousness uh, and savagery of the orcs. Um, Sauron was already working to turn them into, like, the ultimate soldiers. Um, but Sauron, or Morgoth, rather, comes in and and turns them into this, like, loathsome and self-loathing creatures that, uh, that they, you know, and, like, totally corrupted uh, things that, that, uh, that they, that, that he loved, that we all, you know, know and love. Anyway, um, I like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it works. I think there will be time. It should be all right. But at the same time, what about the Dark Rider thing? Right. Well, the Dark Rider thing would still be a problem. You could make the case that he's that that's part of the orders from Melkor. Like that's like a, a relic okay. of the earlier situation. Uh, however, there's there's one thing that because um, this this entire time, the way that I had thought of it is. That Sauron doesn't really see the elves as people, in mm-hmm. a sense. Mm-hmm. Like he's aware of the fact that they're, you, you know, that they're intelligent and whatnot. But if he sees them as almost like they're they're beasts, they're things. Mm-hmm. They're not Ionor. Um, it wouldn't necessarily, you know, it wouldn't necessarily occur to him that. 
torturing them is a wrong thing to do. You know, like that that molding them in the in the way that the the you know the SNOP project would be um, would do. Um, so there's a few things that you lose there. It, it makes the Dark Rider thing a little bit less impactful, and but you can get around it. Uh, you kind of lose an opportunity to do anything with Tavildo if um, if there's no torture going on. Um, well, but see, I mean, he can torture them. Uh, I mean, like... Yes, but that sets Sauron up against him rather than having them in rel- relatively the same corner. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, he can still be... He, Tavildo, can still be allied with Sauron. Um, but, I mean, we were kind of already suggesting that Sauron is using Tavildo as, like, that he doesn't like him, you know, but that right. he, he, he's just, like... A he's using him as the bad cop. Exactly. Well, yeah. no, I, I mean against the Balrogs. Like, you know, Tavildo yeah, well, has no just... truck with the Balrogs, and Sauron is, like, an, in a beggars can't be choosers situation when it comes to opposing the Balrogs. So, you know, he can, he can uh, you know... Side Allow Tavildo some toys. Right. Well, he doesn't even have to know about it. Like, he, he could hate Tavildo. He could completely despise Tavildo privately. Who cares? But he, but he's willing to make use of him because he's powerful and, uh, and unscrupulous, and he can see uses for him. So he would consider him... Let me not use pronouns. Sauron would consider Tavildo distasteful, annoying but potentially useful in the larger struggle against the Balrogs. Um, but he and Tavildo might be quite in opposition. Like, you know, because, <clears throat> again, I would think, what does Sauron want, right? I mean, what Sauron wants is <clears throat> dominion. <clears throat> and there is a trend, worship. He wants folks to, he gets worshipped all the time. Right? He gets worshipped by, you know, like the heathen kings, as Denethor says, right? The there's lots of Sauron where people make altars to Sauron, and it's not an isolated incident, right? Of course, it happens very spectacularly in Numenor, where he becomes like the high priest of Morgoth, and people are coming and worshiping him as a god. Um, he that he seems to be into that more than Morgoth is, really, in some ways. Um, Morgoth never seems to be. I mean, he he wants to be held as the god of the whole world, but he's like got bigger fish to fry. Sauron seems to be perfectly happy going about and getting like tribes of men and stuff to worship him. Um, that seems to be one of his goals. So, so again, I I, I think that ultimately. I like your the distinction that you're making at the beginning about Sauron not really kind of treating the elves as people. Um, what I would say, actually, the thing that that made me think of, Nick, honestly, is children. Right? I mean, they're 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 the children of Iluvatar, right? They're 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 so right. But there are different ways that people look at children. There are many people who look at children as if they're just like, you know, they're sub adult. Right, people who just don't take children seriously and uh, and don't exactly treat them exactly like they would treat animals, but I mean, are put them in a different category, right? Would not don't really take them seriously, and and I mean that's that's a, this is a thing that happens with adults yeah. and children. You know, you can see yes. this. So like basically, it would be like the Valar would look at the look at the children of Iluvatar as you know the. the with love and the desire to care for them and taking them seriously, though possibly risking patronizing them, right? Poss- possibly risking, which they do, of course. In the end, 
what the Valar kind of do is infantilize the elves, right? Oh, they can't make it in the big cruel world by themselves. We must take them in and, and, and shelter them, right? And that's wrong, but wrong in a benevolent and good-hearted kind of way, right? Um, Noblesse oblige. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Sauron might just kind of underrate them at first, right? Um, just as uh, just as many adults would might consider children kind of generally useless, like for adult tasks or whatever. Um, that does because, make it a little bit more delicious that you know he's going to get the tar beat out of him by a little girl and her dog. So. It kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he doesn't take them seriously. But the thing is, I think he should come to respect them more, at least desire their worship he wants to be king he doesn't just and and so like basically he he sees that he 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 maybe he does have standing orders about the dark rider thing and maybe that's why he takes them at first but i gotta think i mean he's gonna come to recognize that the in sauron's world the ultimate role of elves and men is as his his servants subjects and worshipers like that's that's their natural role, and that I think is the role that he's going to want them to be in. Now he is in an, he he's he's in a, a a difficult situation, right? He's not in a time of peace, uh, so he does need soldiers. And so if they're going to be his subjects, if they're going to be his servants, well, his primary need is in war and uh, you know struggling with the Balrog. But um, but I I I, I do think. I do think that his attitude could, if his attitude shifts, if we have a moment where he, um, and, and, and again, he, he doesn't have, we, we can still get Tavildo, right? Tavildo can still take one and be tormenting it like a cat tormenting a mouse, right? Uh, you know, Tavildo could kind of catch one or be stalking one and, uh, and, 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 and he, he could walk in on Tavildo torturing it and, and, you know, call him off it and say, hey, like, you know, don't do that. Um, he could even look noble. This could be a turning point for the elves, right? Where they, they mm. see Sauron as their protector now. Right. Um, what, if, uh, what if Sauron is kind of is orchestrating that? If that's also possible. We could, well, we, we could at least leave that to doubt as to whether or not he, he has orchestrated that. Yeah, well, one, one thing that I do like about this is it does add a level of complexity to the, the Angband politicking situation. Yes. Because now Tavildo is not is not really same team, um, right? Right. In in the way that he was before, and he's yeah. not acting under orders. He's 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 kind of like um like that like that. Like well, yes, yes, <laughs> but he's like that. He's like that powerful individual in in the company that nobody that nobody really wants to deal with. But mm. you, in order to get certain things done, you have to get through this person. Which again, it it does kind of give us that that you know that only sane man in the asylum vibe, where Sauron is yeah. having to manipulate all these forces and sometimes allow things that he wouldn't necessarily consider couth or moral in order to get the things done that he needs to get done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's his step, it's his step down the path towards lawful evil, where it, whereas exactly. now he's more. Exactly. Lawful neutral. Yeah, he, he, Sauron is the least evil 
I'm not still really sure where Thurin Guetho is, but he's the least evil of 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 all the. Ba- I mean, Draugluin is just a tormented spirit who, you know, vents his pain and suffering on others. Um, uh, uh, Tavildo is twisted, and the Balrogs are are over the edge, right? They've already they've already crossed their Rubicon of evil, right? Uh, when they when they destroyed the lamps and their physical change. You know, the, as we described in the first season, which is still one of my favorite touches of season one, by the way. I love the the archangelic Balrogs uh, and the change. Yeah, um, yeah. I still love that. But anyway, yeah, so they are, as Marie, Marie, exactly as you just said, the Balrogs are completely fallen. Sauron is not yet completely fallen, right? I mean, and Myron, he's only one short step away from Valinor. And the step that he took is, it's not a big one, right? It's a, it's a, uh, he's still in, as he as I said last time, he's still in that, in like where he really believes Saruman's speech, right? Nothing need change in our ends, only in our means, right? That's basically the step he's made in joining Morgoth. But he did nothing else, right? He's not he's not crossed any other lines. He hasn't done anything super bad <laughs> yet. Nor are his ends super bad. He's not just trying to torture people for the fun of torturing people. He's not uh, wanting to destroy good for the sake of destroying good. He's not opposing anything bright and beautiful wherever it is on principle. None, nothing like that. He's just... He may really believe that he is the enlightened monarch who can lead Middle-earth into its period of destined glory, right? Um, fulfilling the vision of, of, of strength and justice that, that Morgoth had um, and engagement with Middle-earth. Because remember, that was the ultimate divide, right, between Utumno and Valinor back in the day, halfway through season one. The choice of, like, are we going to, uh, you know, and he would see he would be totally on Melkor's side by now on that question, right? That the whole creation of Valinor thing, the we're going to go off and hide and, and gaze at our navels for the rest of eternity and leave the rest of the world to go hang is obviously wrong, right? Here we, Melkor and Myron, are out here, you know, trying to make Middle-earth into what it is supposed to be, right? We are fulfilling the vision uh, and making the music come to pass, and so he is the he is the monarch, benevolent and wise. Uh, now, especially now that Melkor is gone, right? He must grudgingly take on that mantle. So, I mean, it, this all seems to me Sauron's point of view, and so showing him to be, um, there might be perhaps a hesitation to show Sauron being good, but I don't think we should be hesitant to do that. I think we should show him as still he's still mostly good. Right, um, his goals are good. His impulses are mostly good. Um, he just is the step that he's taken is the compromise of means. Right, w- willing right. to do unscrupulous things in order to to get there. Um, so, yeah. So m- maybe like um, okay, if 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 I may, as like a, a quick kind of timeline revision yeah. here, real quick. Um, so the 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 standing order. The standing yeah. order from Melkor before he was taken. The standing order was to kidnap elves in the guise of the of the Dark Rider, um, so that to to fool the elves into thinking that Orome was a bad dude. Right. The standing orders were non-specific as to what to do with them once you have them. Correct. Because Morgoth right. was planning to take care of that himself. Right. He, he like he has he has in his own in his own mind the setup. 
you know, there might even be, like, the machinery may actually already exist in Angband. It's just not being in use right. at the time. So that's <laughs> right. possible. I, I mean, I'm, I'm using the word machinery very figuratively here, right. but... I understand. I understand. <clears throat> okay. And he so, didn't even know what Morgoth was really planning to do. Right. That. Right. So he, so he's, he starts out kind of just holding them, okay? Mm-hmm. To Vildo... So, well, the, the Balrogs obviously want to kill them, and and Sauron is able to prevent that. Tevildo starts getting a hold of them and messing around with them, torturing them, whatnot. Sauron steps in and starts with his own project to create the Dark Elves that are subservient to to him personally. Um, with the it, all the while of the mind that. Um, that he needs to be able to, A, protect himself and his plans from the Balrogs. Um, he needs Tevildo, so he has to kind of allow him to do things that he wants to do. Right. Okay? Um, because It's possible that Tevildo has like a whole cadre of guys <clears throat> that he can call on. Sauron's got nobody until Basically. he creates... Sauron is Sauron's allowing Tevildo to sort of indulge his, what maybe what Sauron considers distasteful um, 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 uh, enjoyments, um, because he because as sort of a reward for Tevildo's loyalty and support, um, right? Yeah, essentially, um, he and creates the Balrogs because it, the Balrogs. He creates the the werewolves because he realizes that these elves are not going to go. Toe to toe with the with the Balrogs in any numbers. Right. Um, I wonder, and I and I guess this is important because it shows, you know, like despite the fact that we're, you know, it shows that sort of deep down for him ultimately, even though he we're we're portraying him as somewhat benevolent at this point, like you know, well, he would he would never himself go and torture the elves or warp them or whatever. That at the end of the day, the elves to him are still tools. There's still means to an end, so right. if he has to if he has to throw some of them to the cat, as it were, he doesn't mind. Right. Well, I mean, think about the reasons why people do evil things. At least in the beginning, people do evil things because they orders. People do evil things because they had no other choice. People do evil thing. Well, people allow evil things to take place. They're not doing them personally, but they're allowing them because either they have no other choice or they don't have the power to do anything about it in their minds. Right. The, right. That's how evil happens. Those are the reasons that evil happens. Not Very rarely does somebody get up in the morning and say, I'm going to do evil today. That's just, right. you know, people right, don't... evil for evil's sake, yes. Right. I, there, there are people like that, and they're, they're called sociopaths, but, you know, they... <laughs> There's, there's, they're very few and far between, or somebody who has just gone down the road of doing evil for so long that that's just what they do. Yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, this brings, um, and uh, Mike, I'm not going to answer this question, but I wanted to mention this. Mike uh, Huckstad has just said, looking forward, what is Sauron's breaking the lamps moment, right? At what point? I mean, if the breaking of the lamps was the point to which the Balrogs became completely fallen, they crossed that line. Um, I've argued that that Melkor crosses that line at the destruction of the lamps. That we that the, this, the moment we get with him at the end of episode thirteen is really a fall, 
and you know, he's really crossed the line at that point. Um, when does it happen with Sauron? And it's a wonderful question because honestly, in the in the given history of Sauron that we have, um, the only thing that I could would be Numenor, essentially. The fall of Numenor would be the parallel moment. Um, I'm he's I, pretty far gone by the time we get to Baron and Luthien, though. Well, see, that's the question, though, um, because I don't even know. It's it's. I think we could first of all. Uh, if there's one character that we have to play the long game on, it's Sauron, right? I mean, he's our antagonist for like 20 years. So um, we don't have to hustle him down the road to evil. Um, he's got plenty of time to uh, go down it at his own leisure. Um, and of course, I'm not saying that he shouldn't go down it or he, we should make him repent or something or, or undermine the things that he does in Middle, in Middle Earth during the... But we don't know of them. I mean, the incident with Baron and Luthien is just about the only time no it is what, the only time that he's mentioned what about could he be responsible for the deaths of Barahir and his band oh yeah oh yeah no cuz if he is we he could is. we could essentially do that and a it sets him up as the antagonist as a main antagonist of Varen and Luthien during their story and it also it it, it it gives him that kind of event horizon moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I, I don't. And, and Maria is reminding us, of course, that he does, uh, as she says, pseudo repent at the end of the first age. Uh, yeah. And you know, and Maria, remember, it is it, it is it is it is said that uh, he meant it. I mean, there's there's the possibility of real repentance there, and I like that. I mean. If if the trajectory of Sauron's character includes a real, though temporary and not wholehearted, repentance at the end of the first mm. age, and then we get to show him relapsing, right? We get to show the progress of the repentant Sauron through to mm. the fall of Numenor, right? And that's when he... That's because, so there, there does still need... To, so actually, I think I'm right about the fall of Numenor. Until the fall of Numenor, Sauron's repentance needs to still be in play. Because he's going to repent, right? Um, and not just to deceive the Valar, but he's going he's gonna to really mean it when he repents. It's not going to stick, but he's going to really mean it uh, when he repents at the end of the First Age. Um, and he's got to, that's got to still be possible. Um, and then, so then even his empire building among humans after, in the Second Age, right, um, leading up to yeah. Numenor, to the, to, to the Numenor incident, um, needs to be not like, and now, like, I shall twirl my mustache and, and uh, cackle maniacally as I build a kingdom of evil, um, but, you know, again, sort of a slow slide, probably through similar patterns of putting means before ends, uh, that in the end, he ends up going to Numenor and becoming worshipped as a god and then ultimately falling off the <laughs> cliff. So, um, I like it. I mean, I, I think it's, yeah. So, so having him not be completely fallen in the, yeah. in the, in the, in the first age, I think would be really good. You, you know what this means is it kind of gives him an out for his defeat at the hands of Luthien because what it's really, it's really just a lack of resolve to, That's right, yeah. you know, to kill an unarmed girl. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. He was uh, sparing her benevolently. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. At, at least in his own mind. In his he, own he mind, exactly. He, he wasn't defeated. He just was like, well, this isn't worth it. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and now Lincoln asks the great question, you know, can he still be responsible for the deaths of Barahir and his band without having a breaking of the lamps moment? Uh, uh, cue the kicking of the can side effect or sound effect. That is a season five question, my friend, and we are not going to answer that right now. Um, all I am saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to write Sauron's story for the next ten seasons, but I am just going to say his story is going to be interesting, and I do think we can have him not wholly fallen, not wholly ruined yet. Um, I think that's the way to make it interesting. Yeah, I was only following orders. I was, yeah, well, he's going to be following orders, right? But what exactly is his relationship with Morgoth going to be? And what kind of service is he going to do? Frankly, I am interested. To, he only gets mentioned in the in the Baron and Luthien story, but there is no reason to think he's not involved in the other in other stuff that happens, right? And I am not going to want to leave him behind, especially since, of course, as we know, he's going to be our main antagonist all the way through. I don't want to leave him behind. I, 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 I'm wanting to hang with Sauron. I want Sauron to be one of our our, our most persistent characters through the entire uh, uh, story. Um, well, he he probably gets sent out to the to the frontier because he's such a you know like Melkor knows he can't necessarily depend on him to make the evil choice at the right time. <laughs> He's unreliably evil, right? Yeah, I like his. I like you, Myron, but really, just sometimes you, you know, you flake out and you do good things. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. It's this is um, um, this is uh, 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 this this is great stuff, and 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 yeah. There's 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 this. It's 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 going to be fun. It's really going to be fun, um, but that's a future occasion. For now, I just glancing towards all of that complexity to come and wanting to preserve all that complexity to come. Um, I I do want to have him come around to being, and because of course, no, notice we have potential conflict with Morgoth coming in right away, right? Um, that he he had his orders, which was to go and uh, masquerade as the Black Rider and kidnap elves, and he might, in a sense repented or at least be like you know i'm sorry i did that or this is not you know now i want to win them over you know now i want i have a different plan now i've got to make a different plan now because morgoth is gone right uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna stop the dark rider shtick and i'm going to i'm gonna start the uh uh the you know being a benevolent uh and wise uh, uh wizard king uh, the Lord of Gloaming. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go with the Lord of Gloaming instead, uh, and um, and and he has a different relationship with the elves. Though we can still see, as with Tavildo, I do I still do think that that Tavildo scene can be really pivotal because it can show us like he doesn't he doesn't actually care about them that much. Um, ultimately, his interest in the elves is self serving, uh, but uh, I, and he's willing to sacrifice them, uh, as you say, in order to keep Tavildo. Well, I won't say happy, but um, anyway. Okay, so everyone's all obsessing about, like, the episodes we're supposed to be discussing. This is good material, folks. Um, anyway, yeah, episode, so episode five. It was all, <laughs> this was all relevant to episode five um, uh, uh, in a vague sense. So, because um, the, the episode five is where the, were, the, were- the werewolves and the balrogs elf hunting 
came in. Um, by the way, the thing that I really loved about the elf hunting Balrogs scene, uh, which involved the conflict with Asse and Unin, I love the intervention of Asse and Unin, um, because of course Asse and Unin are, are two of the the the. Uh, two of the Ainu, the Ainur, who are most willing to intercede on the part of the children of Iluvatar, and they're the ones who do it most frequently, um, especially Uanin, of course. We will know, we know of her blessing to the Numenorians, and that, by the way, was a genius stroke that you guys had, because um, we had talked about, uh, we had talked about Círdan uh, and Ase, right? And them kind of uh, buddying up in this episode, I love the touch that you guys added of how Uanin and Olwe uh, become friends at the same time. I thought that was absolutely brilliant as, you know, Olwe as like the the first of the Mariner kings, right? Um, and uh, the, uh, the, 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 the maker of ships. And so setting her out uh, from the very beginning as the... Uh, the um, uh, the the protector of ships and uh, and shipmakers I think is great I I I I really loved that so we can so be, being able to kind of parallel that in a sense she is she is protecting the Numenorians even her protection of her relationship with the Numenorians is like sort of connected to and derived from this in some senses I I like it or at least parallel to it I thought that was really cool um, and. Uh, I loved the oh, and, uh, but one small point I, I I wanted to and again it's a it's a good point uh, in the outline of episode five you guys were talking about um, the, like the the Balrogs being attacked essentially at a water crossing right and I love that um, because of course water crossings are going to be a big deal um, like all the way down to the ringwraiths who are scared across yeah. water right and yeah. it's a big question I mean I, I was just asked that wonderful question. Um, uh, when I was, when I had my interview with the uh, extremely precocious I remember. Uh, Maggie in, in, during the, <laughs> during the webathon, and she asked that question, why are the ring race afraid to cross water? It's never explained. I mean, Tolkien doesn't say why they're afraid to cross and water. And now we know. And now we know, right? I mean, if Cause we Because Unin could randomly pop up <laughs> right. and ruin your day. You, you, you just know, I mean, between, between, uh, between Olmo Right, who goes his own way and is willing to do stuff without the approval of all the rest of the Valar and Ase and Uinen, who are completely loose cannons. Um, like water is just pretty darn unpredictable, and you never know what's going to happen, especially you know if you're evil. So yeah, absolutely, I love that. I, I thought that that touch was uh, was was really cool. Um, and yeah, Marie, exactly. Marie says Uinen is going to wreck stuff after the kin slaying. Absolutely. She totally is. And yeah. And, and so, yes, if, if Olway dies there and their friends, no, Marie, exactly. That's what I was thinking. And, and, and it's why I loved that whole, uh, that whole, that whole thing, especially since we're not going to be able to, get, there's only so much we're going to be able to do in building up, you know, uh, like characters to like, who's going to lament Olway? Right. I mean, yeah, Elway is, you know, Thingol is, but um, I, but, but, you know, the, we're not going to be able to have anyone survive him because we're going to leave the Teleri behind. Right. Um, but we'll still have Uinen. Right. We'll always have Uinen, uh who will remember the Kinslang and be able to speak, uh, be able to speak against it and against the Noldor. Um, so anyway, yeah, loved it. Loved it. I know. I know. We do have his daughter, but um, you know, and she's important for genealogical reasons and everything. But uh, but anyway, I just I I I liked it. 
He'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. He'll um, get better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the, um, the dreams. I, I, I was, a, I was a big fan of the dreams um, of, uh, of, of Olway and Kyrdan. Um Because again, that's another really nice, um, uh, really nice theme to introduce here. You know the idea of this of this of sort of the prophetic dream. We've already had it with Lenway, um, and did we decide to put the dream into episode four? Do we still have it in episode three? Did we make a decision about that last time? I know we were talking about. Uh, I wanted to change that so that like the significance of it didn't become clear until uh, until the next episode, and we didn't necessarily show it on screen, but had had him talk about it. Yeah, they, well, have, having him talk about it in episode three makes makes sense, especially if he just describes it. As as a tree talking, he doesn't remember what it was going to say, but he he there's something we we have a purpose. There's something that we have to do, and it, he could even say it lies to the west, mm-hmm. which they're going to run into the ends to the west. Right, right, exactly. So that makes sense. Yeah, I love that actually, because of course, uh, uh, obviously, everyone assumes, even himself, presumably assumes that when he says his destiny lies, you know, his his purpose uh, lies in the west, that it's Valinor. Right. Um, and again, I love that because that really spotlights the difference that I was uh, trying to insist on last time. The difference between the Avari who say we won't go um, and Lenway who says, no, this is where my purpose is. Um, so, yeah, he's gotten to the West. Not quite as far West as everybody else thought he was going to go. Right. But uh, he's 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 gone West and he has found his purpose. So, yeah, love that. This is my stop. That's right. This is my stop. This is where I get off. Exactly. Um, and, uh, the dreams of Alway and Kirtan, do we want to show those or do we want to because they're kind of image. I mean, I kind yeah. of feel like unless we're going to get, you know, voiceover or dialogue or something like that, um, I'm not sure we need to depict the, to show the dreams on screen. They can just speak of them well, to each other. Here, here's, here's the thing. If you, sh- if you show them. Like you can, what what we had kind of envisioned was actually intercutting right. their dreams. You'd obviously have to have like different color schemes and stuff so you could realize who whose dream we were in right. at any given moment. Um, dreams, like right. Well, so so that you didn't think that they were having a tandem dream right. um, in some weird way. Um, but I feel like having the imagery is is going to be very very powerful so that when when we see the swan ships. We immediately think we think back to the dream when we see when we see Arendelle's ship. Yes. If we can remember this far back, right? We should be thinking of this dream. So I would really like to 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 see that as this this intercutting dream sequence um, with plenty of music. I wouldn't do any voiceover. I don't think mm-hmm. we we need to, and I don't think we need to shy away from it either. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, for instance, later on, obviously, you know, when we get the dreams of, of um, Finrod and Turgon, right, um, the mm. dreams that we do Nargothrond and Gondolin, we'll, we'll need voiceover there. They're receiving a message, right? And it's a, it's a, it's, it's a rather specific message. Including, I mean, Turgon receives a very specific message about the armor that he's supposed to leave behind and all that kind of thing, right? So, um, so we're definitely going to need dialogue there. I Are we going to have Almo give give tours me- measurements during the yeah. dream sequence? No, he does. There, exactly, right. Yeah. <laughs> I know he does. But. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> just, 
I've designed it. I've written. I, yes, exactly. This is the measurements that you're going to need. Um, yeah. No, exactly. Um, but uh, but yeah, and, and you're right. You're right about the visual imagery because I mean, think about the way that that can be. We, we can start with an image of a living swan. Um, and if that image can be visually juxtaposed so that we can see it in the swan ships, right? So when we when we see this, the swan ships at Aqualande, um, when we see them arriving at Aqualande, there can be a there can be a parallel between the swan in Always Dream, the swan ships as they arrive at the shores of Valinor, and the swan ships as they are burning in season three. Um, and have those all tied together by the one parallel image of the swan would be really cool. Um, because that really puts forward the swans, you know, the, the, this image of the swan is, is evocative of always purpose. And ultimately, always purpose is thwarted by Feanor and the Noldor in the theft and then destruction of his great, uh, of his great work. At least, almost purpose for him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, it, it it does help to convey the real tragedy of that, which I think is I think is uh, is 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 really good. Um, with Kyrdin, I love Vingalot as uh, as a thing in the dream. Um, I think it it would seem to me that with Kyrdin, we're going to need a series of images. The last of which will be Vingalot, right? If all he gets is Vingalot, that's way too long to wait for the payoff. <laughs> right, and, and it's a little heavy-handed, too. It but. is, it is. But, but, I, but I love the idea of that being the last image. You know, yes. The, 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 you know, the greatest ship that he will ever make. Um, and, uh, um, but, but what other images would Kyrdin have? <laughs> Other models of other ships that come. <laughs> other ships, of course, yes. <laughs> what does he do? Uh, He's a shipwright. Right. Yeah. Although, uh, one thing about, uh, about, uh, about Vingal... I can't pronounce that word. Um, Vingal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one. Um, one thing about that, I would, I would, it would be really cool. It might be a little heavy-handed, but it would be really cool if you just saw like a, a single dove flying over it also. Yes, um, yes. Or a seagull. Is she going to be a seagull? Or an albatross? I, I, Probably not an not albatross. An albatross. They're a little clumsy, but yeah, yeah I could see it. I could see a, a gull or a tern or something. Turns are a little bit more graceful and okay. Less yeah, turns. Kind of a rat. Anybody who's lived on the coast like I have, yeah. you know, fully agrees with the uh, the Finding Nemo Nemo statement that um, that gulls are rats with wings. Right. right. Yes. Yes. Mine. 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 Yeah. I can foreshadow. Um, uh, the the swan that um, oh my god I just two or swans I just blanked on her name no Arundel's wife oh, oh yeah exactly that's exactly oh, yeah 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 that's exactly what I was thinking of yes exactly the, well it, yeah. it, she changes into a white bird I don't remember if there was a specific bird but anyway um, as to other images. Um, <laughs> We could we could see. I feel like seeing uh, seeing the havens might be a little bit too too heavy handed. Maybe right. We don't want it to be. I mean, if if it's it would be images, obvious. Yeah, exactly. It can't be like 
instructions. Like, here are the architectural specs of the haven you're supposed right, to build. Right, exactly. And here are the different models of ships you're going to work yourself through. Um, yeah. Vingalot should really be the only explicit... Um, maybe we just have one one image is the seabird, right? And we, mm. we don't know what that means. I mean, an L-wing is one of the things, of course, that it ev- that it's going to evoke eventually, but it, but it could be more things. Um, we would need some other things which suggest his purpose. Could we see... Could we see... Okay. All right. What we could see is we could see, like, a flock of gulls on the sea near the shore. Okay? Near the, the, the western shore of, of Middle-earth, essentially. And see them heading, heading west on, on the water and then taking off and flying up. Although Omo doesn't know that Valinor is going to be removed from Middle Earth, so I don't know if that works. Uh, you, you know what I'm going for, right? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Or he may know, because he has a better understanding of what where the music's going in right. in total than everybody else. Right. So he may at least have. He may not consciously know, but he may, at some level, know. The problem with all this is that Kierden is plays such a small role in the events of the First Age. And right. Plays such a narrow role <laughs> at at all times. Right. I mean, he's 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 kind of a one trick pony, really. Um, but seeing him as you know, Maria, as you're suggesting, seeing him as a kind of um, protector. Right, of the Teleri still in Middle-earth. Um, I, I, I've got this in my head again because I've been reading the Book of Lost Tales lately. But um, I'm thinking of the Aloro Male, the Path of Dreams. This is an idea that Tolkien abandoned after the Lost Tales, apparently. Um but it's basically the rainbow and this idea of like the path of dreams where human children come to Valinor in their dreams. But the idea of it, uh, when the Alora Mallee is constructed, it's a pathway after the hiding of Valinor in order to enable still a connection between Valinor. So Valinor is almost entirely removed. Like it's made almost completely and almost perfectly inaccessible from the rest of the world. But the Alora Mallee is still this golden thread which connects Valinor and uh, and Middle Earth, and that's kind of Kierden's job, right? You know, Valinor is almost totally inaccessible. Not to bring human children in their dreams to Valinor, but um, uh, but he is he is he is the Alora Mallee, right? I mean, he is the, mm. that that one single bridge, you know, that one narrow, delicate bridge that still connects Valinor and. Middle Earth, and that's his. I would think that that I mean that that's his purpose in a nutshell. Like he is to be that connection. Um, he is the keeper of the straight road. Later on, after the bending of the world and the fall of Numenor, like he's the dude who has the key, you know who has the you know the access to the to the straight road. Okay, what if he is? What if he's standing on the beach, and he has a bird in his hand? Okay. And he he walks up to the sea and he can see the gull. I see. I hadn't I hadn't heard of this before, but I really like this. Um, he sees the golden thread in the sea, 
leading off to the horizon in the west. And he releases the, this bird, and it flies off following the threat. That image, That's essentially what he does. Yeah, that image of a bird being released and flying like his hands releasing a bird and it flying off into the west, I like that image. I still think it should be a collection of images. It shouldn't be negative. Yeah, um, right. But if we have... And it's okay if it's inscrutable. Like, it's not supposed to be yeah. something that's easily understood. Um, there can be an image of of uh, the, you know, the, 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 I mean, I don't know if we show something that really looks like the Allura Malley, which was basically the rainbow. I mean, that's, that's what it was in the Book of Lost Tales. So it's, it's in the sky. Um, it's like the Rainbow Road to to yeah, Asgard. Exactly. Yeah, that's the Rainbow Bridge. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, um, yeah. So uh, he, we could show, we could show, like we could show a rainbow. You know, we could show that 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 could be one of the images that we show, for instance. Um, and it's okay if it doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't make perfect yeah. sense. It doesn't have to be totally yeah. intelligible at that point. Um, but yeah, so the images of of him, something to connect him to the rest of his people, maybe uh, a glimpse of some of the other people like that were left behind. Maybe we get a little some brief, of the Avari, like yeah, Teleri montage, right? The Ava- mm. so, you know, some of the Avari, Lenway's folks, um, uh, people of uh, you know Sindar. Not Elway because they think he's dead. Right. No, the, the folks hunting for Elway. I was thinking. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we just get b- brief images, right? Montage images of them. And then, like, that image of him releasing the bird and then the the rainbow and then Vingalot ultimately at the end. Um, that kind of thing, I think, could all, could, uh, could, could, could work. And yet, Maurice is obviously cured and has never seen sunlight or a rainbow before. Uh, yeah, yeah. Marie, you're yeah. right. Even just, like, a bright blue sky would be quite a vision. Yeah. Right? Which would be yeah. an inexplicable vision, really. Um, so yeah, the idea of like a, of like a, a distant rainbow in a blue sky would be, um, an incredible and inexplicable vision. So yeah, I like that. Oh, you know what you, you just made me realize that even with the, in the light of the trees, the sky over Valinor is never blue. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Changes your uh, your vision of what it's, uh, what it's Well, no, they, they, we we just did a session specifically with stuff like that, and I should have brought, I should have thought of that then. But there was things like that that we were we were trying to figure out, um, like um, like different um, how how the 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 air quotes economy. Uh-huh. Of uh, uh-huh. of Valinor works and stuff like that, but right. that right. should have been something that came up, and I'm right. kicking myself for not thinking of it then. <laughs> right, right. Um, oh, and by the way, I, I the other thing that I want to say, and then I'm totally I'm like moving on because efficiency. To is episode six, day, yeah, uh, is uh, I like the parallel between Arwen and like and Olway slash Kierden. I I, I I thought that was. Uh, it, the way that the fr- the frame kind of suggests that you know that because she's really, in a sense, those are the two things that she's kind of poised between, right? Um, she is clearly focused on purpose um, and trying to figure out like, and it's it's one of the things. I mean, this is in the frame. This is Arwen. 
becoming reconciled with the choice of her friend, right? And uh, in a sense, the visions of Alway and uh, and and Kierden really help with that because they show like they're both of them have a different purpose, one in Valinor and one here, and that's okay, right? Different people have different callings and different jobs and that's all right um and so you know having her kind of coming to uh to kind of be at peace with that and her own you know her own sense of 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 purpose and still not being sure what her own purpose is um uh at the very least i mean one of the things that i think that this helps you know what some of the progress that arwen and hopefully uh the viewers as well have made at this point is that Basically, her her fear at the beginning seems to be that going off into the West is merely a cop-out, right? Um, if the elves' purpose is to be in the West, then remaining in Middle-earth is mere delinquency. If the elves' purpose is in Middle-earth, then going to the West is escapism, right? And so the first step that she has in understanding this question and how it applies to her is, no, that's not necessarily the case, Right? Um, and Olway and Kierden, I think, represent that really, really well. I think that's really cool. Um, so anyway, I like that. All right. So episode, episode six. Episode six. Yeah, here we are. So um, I love. So this is Mir- so Muriel's pregnant, right? Yes. And um, she's one of the. She's uh, what you're thinking was probably the protagonist of this episode. Um, yes. I like. I love the. I mean, I said before in episode three that I love the 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 sundering of Muriel from the rest of her family. Right, how most of her family chooses to remain and be Avari, um, mm. and uh, I loved that, and I loved it twice as much when we get here. And the the idea that like her, why is she so focused on her fetus? Right, <laughs> why is she so obsessed with? And and uh, you know the the. How, how alone, I mean, apart from Finway, how alone she is, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the idea of, like, how this kind of connects with her lost family and, um, uh, and, and, and not to mention all the delays, right? The delay of her marriage with Finway. Like, she's been wanting to have a child for a long time. Um, so I love that element, you know, that, how this is, uh, uh, you know, sort of fulfilling a, a uh, long-delayed, uh, life goal for her, and then you have yeah the grief for her family, and I, I love all that. I, I thought that that worked uh, that worked really well. Um, there there is something that I, I wanted to talk about in uh, in Act Three real quick. Okay. Um, about because we and because as I'm looking at the the outline, the reasons why we did certain things here are not super clear. So I kind of wanted to address mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah. So we had an issue right off the bat with, and, and you guys had talked about this as well, about um, why the um, why the the Sindar are willing to accept this weird lady who comes out of the woods with Elway, um, who's been missing for untold centuries. Right. You know, um, they they show up and he's like, "Hey, meet." Melian, she's great. She's going to be my wife and our queen. And now instead of going to Valinor, we're going to stay here. It looks weird. Right. right? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we talked about that. How like, Right. I remember, yeah. Sketchy yeah. lady in the woods, right? Right. Like, so we had to find a way. We had to find a way to very, very quickly warm them up to her. 
Right. And so what we did with, with that was to tie we we tied the the Bagdai story element into this moment. So Elway's guys who have been searching for him are set upon by werewolves um, that Sauron created last episode. Right. I think. Yeah. Um, Correct. And Elway and Melian come out, and the the werewolves are essentially dispelled. You know, like Melian shows up, and they're like, "Yeah, we don't want any of this." And um, and Melian heals one of one of the wounded. So, like, she's she's clearly yeah. a good guy. Yes. In the eyes of the elves, we we know we've known this whole time. Yeah. The, the viewer knows that she's okay, but to, to convince before, the elves, right, right. So, we, but to convince the elves as as quickly as yeah. possible yeah. that she's all right, we get that, um, and that also ties us back to the Yangban scene where it, where Drogulun comes in with his report of what's going on, and instead of in the outline, Sauron is is dabbling with orc creation. What he could be doing. Is in fact being among his his dark elf dudes, if that's the way we're going yes. with that. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to th- to throw yeah, that out there because I'm looking point. at it. I'm like, this isn't really clear why this is right. happening this way. Right. Right. And it's not just like what's at a random action sequence. No. Right. I'm yeah. Kidding. I always feel I always feel compelled to explain action <laughs> scenes when they come up. I don't know why that happens, but. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, so many people accuse Peter Jackson of that. It's totally understandable. Um, I am uh, always strongly in defense of it, not of just random action for the sake of action, um, but I, uh, you know, action sequences can be really wonderful ways to convey stuff, you know, to convey plot and character development. Um, and quickly. And quickly. And I think, but I, I, I personally, I think this is a brilliant way to do this because if you think about the way it's described in the books, right? Nobody who comes before Melian has any doubt about who she is, right? But just being in the presence of Melian and looking in her face is enough to show you, like, to, 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 to change you even. Baron is affected, right, when he's brought before Melian. Um, it's like what happens to Gimli with Galadriel, right? He right. distrusts elves and, you know, and, the el- and he has no love for the elves of Othlorien, and then he stands before Galadriel and no further questions, right? Um, just being in her presence is enough to, 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 to inspire him with that sort of level of confidence. Um, but that's really hard to depict on screen. And the problem, I mean, like, the, the issue that um, happens and inevitably happens, like, it makes it on screen... Uh, Jackson with in Jackson's film, and again, I can't blame him. I mean, I like yeah. the way he did it, and I like what he was trying to do. But inevitably, people think Gimli's all sheepish. Well, and and they make it. It, it looks like a like a romantic infatuation, right? Like he's got the hots for Galadriel, yeah. you know. And it's not exactly that. It's not exactly not that either. But it's yeah, not exactly it's not that. right. It's not entirely untrue, but no, but it's not. I mean, he, he does he does nearly murder. Aomer over it. So. Exactly. Well, but that's... It's really evocative of chivalric love. Exactly. I mean, yes, exactly. yes. The sort of I agree. idealized version, not the actual courtly yeah. love version where you were actually... Right, right, right. Exactly. But yeah, no, ex- exactly. It's she, she becomes his ideal. Um, 
Right. But the I, I mean, obvious. There's no, there's no sexual element. I mean, he doesn't want to sleep with her. I, I don't think he's even tempted in that way. I, it's just, it's not the way it works. But that, that anyway. My point is, the way you're doing it is much better, um, because. You, what you are doing is creating a situation on screen where it is impressed upon everyone, the other elves and upon the viewers that she is. And, and what better way than to show evil actually just fleeing from her, right? She shows up and evil can't, you know, the, the creature, especially the werewolves. Great, great choice by the way, right? Because they are the, they are the, 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 the product of evil, right? Of, you know, they're, they're like the most evil thing Sauron has done actually to this point um and they themselves are twisted and violent um and they can't stand in front of her right so so just showing that uh you know so she just like repels them i'm thinking maybe she even fixes them if we see sauron imprisoning spirits within the bodies of wolves maybe she releases their spirits and so she like well, some, some of them do have to get away you know oh, yeah. it's some of the story no, exactly. but yes exactly but yeah. but but yeah the, the the ones that are closest she wouldn't destroy them or she wouldn't kill them um but she sets them free yeah uh and uh you know and Dragluin could report this um of course he would be probably deeply creeped out by the whole thing um and so yeah well, from yeah, from his off. point of view, as far from his point of view, it could look very much like she just straight up killed them. Just yeah, just 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 destroyed them. That's Absolutely, true. that's true. Um, uh, but um, if we had some, well, anyway, I don't want to get too far into the details. But yes, I love this. I, I think that that does that job really, really well, of sort of showing, yeah. And so they would take her as as their queen immediately. Or they wouldn't need Thingol's recommendation at that point, right? You know? Right. So, so yeah. sh- showing them like all you know, like dropping to one knee in front of her. So he comes you know. out and he says, "Oh, I see you've met the misses." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. So now, <laughs> you've met the about the the main <laughs> the main plot of the episode, mm-hmm. the Muriel plot. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, I, I was. Hey, hey, you're the one who changed the subject. I was. I no, 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 no. I, I, I totally take responsibility for that. I just happened to see it, and I wanted to talk about it before, yeah. before it, you know, in case Absolutely. it became an issue later. Um, I was wondering if we wanted to sort of show that we had talked about like that how the what was what was cloaking them, right? What was blocking the what was preventing anybody from finding Thingol and Melian was the like sort of little proto girdle that she's putting around Nan Elmoth there. If we wanted to start off by showing that, you know, they're running from the werewolves, right? The the werewolves are pursuing them and they find themselves at Nan Elmoth and they're like, Oh dang. (laughs) Not again. Not this again. We're at the scary impenetrable forest. So their backs are to the scary impenetrable forest and, and and their faces are to the werewolves who have been pursuing them. Um, and we can show maybe the, the, the reluctance of the werewolves to cut. So they're, they're at a kind of stand. And I don't know. There are ways in which we could kind of play with that. Yeah, no, I I like that. That's Um, a good idea. But anyway, okay. So, um, Back to back to back to Muriel. Um, visions. She has the visions. Right? Can, can we go? Can we review yeah. the visions a little bit? So she has the visions, and she's telling Indus. Did we ever solve? Or excuse me. Did you ever solve the question of whether or not Finway knows about the prophecy about Fanor? We we decided that it's better 
it's better that he not know. He not know. Um, yeah, that that he not know that that Muriel has concerns. Right. Um, because it's gonna like he, he's he's got enough going on. He's got enough reason to be a bad parent. Um, <laughs> like it's it's going to color his his raising of this child in in ways that we don't necessarily right don't necessarily want. We want him doting on Feanor the the entire time and not in a oh I feel so bad I don't want to raise up Mel- uh, the new Melkor like that's not the vibe we want to get from that yeah you want his view unclouded basically right 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 but um, Indus knows or Indus knows Indus knows yes right okay yes so so we're gonna have scenes of her so so that's how the viewer knows about it so the the viewer right. is gonna so basically Miriam we're, we're showing Muriel here in a state of denial essentially. Which... Well, no, that's that, that that happens during during the birth. She gets the the negative. Like everything that she gets up until that point is is super positive, which is one of the reasons why she's she, she's she's putting forth more and more effort, right? Um it's not until the birth itself that she gets she starts getting the negative um the the negative visions. Right now, which isn't somebody, in here and I would think reason. it's got to be somebody would have to, and I would think it would have to be Indus. Somebody has to come to Muriel during the pregnancy and be like, um, "This is a bad idea." Not the pregnancy, but like, "What are you doing?" Like, what? Because yeah. she's, she's made a choice, right? I mean, it's right. Muriel's. Muriel is is she is deliberately pouring her spirit out into Feanor to try to make the, right. you know, she, she's poor. And, and again, and I love how that with the whole like childbearing as dream deferred mingled with grief for family lost. Right. And, right. and her pouring all of herself into this child who is going to be, you know, fill this hole that has always been in, or has been in her life now for so long. I love the psychologically the way that all that works. Um, I think you guys have set up a really interesting psychological framework for Muriel why she does what she does um, in a way that I think. So people... did we talk about? We didn't actually talk about that, did we? I, that's an awesome idea. It is an awesome. Idea. No, we didn't her, talk about her, that. Her motivation to pour her energy is as a result of the vision, right? Yeah. Well, and, and, she sees and the, the influence. Of... It, it doesn't start. It doesn't start, start out with that. It exactly. starts out right. It starts uh, out as she's. She's um, she is between she's all alone. She's got nobody besides her husband, uh, and right. and her uh, one could possibly presume new friend Indus. They've made friends right. on the journey, right? Presumably, right? right. Um, they may not have traveled in the same circles before. Um, in addition to that, they, she's been wanting a child since since before the the ambassadors left Quivenin. Right. Like she's been looking forward to this for a very, very, very long time. Centuries and centuries. Yes. Right. I'm thinking of for some reason it's not the same, but I'm thinking of Marissa Tomei in in um, <laughs> my cousin Vinny stamping <laughs> right. on the porch. Right. Right. <laughs> Obviously, her biological clock is not ticking, but well, they tick very slowly in any case. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, so um. So, so it starts off as that. When she gets, as the pregnancy continues and she starts to get these visions, 
then it inc it does increase it. But I, I, I wouldn't want to make the visions be the cause. Yeah. Right. The no, initial exactly. cause. Exactly. That makes sense. But here's yeah. the other thing. There are two factors involved here, right? One is her own sense of you know loss and wanting to 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 sort of, but the other is an older and impulse, right? Yes, the, I mean the the creative impulse. Yeah, her baby is like this. You know, her baby is to Muriel what the Silmarils are to Feanor, you know, and the Swan ships are to Olway, frankly, right? I mean, it's her master work, and she's. Yeah. She's like she's she's making the best baby that's ever been made, right? And it's like it's 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 not exactly craftsmanship, of course, in the same way, but the the motivation is similar, right? I mean, this is her masterwork, yeah. the work that she will never be able to do again, and she recognizes that. Um, she she she's okay with making the choice to pour um, uh, to pour a bunch of herself into uh, uh, into her kid knowing that it's going to be the only one and knowing that that's not what her husband wants. Um, but it's okay. But, you know, it's okay because Boy, that makes, the, that makes the visions as far as the, uh, the, the uh, unsettling visions, even sadder. It yeah. does. It yeah. does. Though, though the initial visions of greatness confirm right. her and egg her on exactly. in this. Yes. Exactly. Right. It's yeah. like a confirmation um, yeah. that it's she's tragic, right to do what she though. wants to do. Yeah. And so we, we, what we can set up as a parallel with Feanor, because, I mean, it's a peril that's going to happen two episodes, well, three episodes from now, right, with the Silmarils. Um, when Feanor's making the Silmarils and Nardanelle is like, dude, are you, you know, what are you doing? Like, are you sure this is okay? Um, but we need somebody in the Nardanelle position with her. And I think it's got to be Indus. Yeah. Right, Finway's yeah. in the kind of dopey husband role at this point with, as far <laughs> as the pregnancy is concerned, Right. Um, as as men typically tend to occupy exactly. that role, that, that makes that's, perfect that's, sense. That's not hard, right? Uh, um, and yeah, he's cheerfully nattering on about like you know how many kids they're going to have. Oh, he's going to teach his kid how to play baseball, and yeah, right, exactly. And he's going to he's going to you know he's looking forward to like making a whole baseball team, uh, and and <laughs> and teach him teach him how to design cities. And, exactly, yeah. it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and meanwhile, she's like. You know, she doesn't argue with him, but she knows it's different. Right. So, so it's, I, I, it's Indus is the only other person it can be, right? So, it's she has to have conversations with Indus, in which Indus cautions her, um, and yes. doesn't doesn't say what you're doing is awful, but like, be careful, you can go to, you can go to, you can put too much of yourself into it. If yes. she's saying that there, this this can give greater resonance to when Nerdinel says that to Feanor in episode nine. Yes. I agree. You know, um, and what, one thing, this is a little bit of a tangent, but we somehow kind of discovered that while, while Feyre is obviously the greater craftsman, Finway might be the better architect mm -hmm. between him and his son. Okay. It comes up in, uh, in, in episode 10, but it, it just okay. occurred to me just yeah, now. Having but, something that Finway is like known for would be good. Yeah. Because um, Finway can be, could easily become such a cipher. Um, and known yes. only for weakness, essentially. Yes. Uh, yes. So yeah, I like that. I mean, th there should be. If he's the high king of the Noldor, he has to. Be, he should be superlative in some art or other, right? Yes. Clearly. Uh, so yeah, yes. I like that. I like that. Um, so. Yeah. Okay. So so as long as we as long as we can have those running disc so there should be concern. There should be alarm prior to yes. so, so that the. Because, of course, another thing that I was thinking when reading through this was 
the whole concern about the pregnancy and is the delivery going to go okay? That shouldn't be much of like, you know, mortality in childbirth is not really a thing with the elves. Right, right. Well, that's that we wanted to make sure that during the birth, we were drawing attention to the fact because I mean, like, you can't just show, you can't just show like the, her screaming in pain and expect people to get that something weird's going on because exactly, it's normal we know we, scream in pain. right yeah so we have to have people saying this is this is different this is weird something yes. is wrong yes she yes. shouldn't be in this much pain she shouldn't yes exactly exactly um uh and if we have lots of ominous foreshadowing between the combination of indus just sort of in her concern with what she sees her friend doing mm. and the increasingly uh, sort of disturbing visions or unease that Muriel is getting, though probably not admitting to herself um, mm. and trying to downplay to Indus. Um, then that, of course, builds the tension around yeah. the birth. Um, so last thing I want to talk about here. So I, I love all this stuff and I think this stuff uh, could be really is, is, is going to be really good. And as I've said, um, as I've said, I mean, this, this plays on the stuff before with uh, Vire, which as I said, I love every, I love every moment that Vire comes onto the scene in your outlines. They're great. Um, so I, and I love the way that this full, you know, fulfilling that tableau that Finway saw when he was an ambassador, right. Of, uh, you know, the two of them and a baby there in Lorien. But, of course, it's overlaid with tragedy when we finally get there, which he doesn't realize at first. Just love all that stuff. Um, uh, the last thing I want to talk about is the, the well, her death. Mm-hmm. Which we don't actually really show. Well, you have a death scene like the Don't Hold Me Accountable. Yeah, I know. I, I know. But that's that's more of a like a finally. goodbye to, to Finway. Yeah, yeah, the good. It's it is it is for all intents and purposes it is her death scene, but she's not right. Vis- like we don't, she's not dead at the end of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. We're not. There's yeah, no corpse. But 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 my question is, um, uh, does why why does she, like how does her because she what kind of gives up she. Why does she do what she does? Why doesn't she? Is it really impossible? There's, there's a there's a there's a couple of things. One, she is exhausted. She's yeah. she's like she's done with life. She can't. She right. she literally can't even. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Right. Um, how, however, it's a it's a little bit more than that because during the during the birth. She's getting all these visions of of fire and and, and horrible horribleness. Yes. Uh, which she has confessed to Indus. Yes. Um. And she is she she basically is also afraid that she's given birth to a supervillain, essentially. Right. Right. She has a, a sinking feeling that. Right, and she just can't watch this little boy that she loves dearly become be, you know be, become Dr. Von Doom essentially right. so she is she basically has to, so to Finway 
she speaks as if what she did was essentially self-sacrifice, right? She has poured herself out into their son, and she has given all of herself, and there's and left not enough for herself. In fact, her words could pre-figure uh, Gilrein's words, actually. Right. But anyway, yes. she, whereas, yes, Marie, as, as Marie says, she doesn't want to look on what she has done, right? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's, you could look at Muriel's action as an act of self-sacrifice, right? But you could also look at it as a, as a, as, as a cop-out, right? As her, as despair. Craven. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a little bit of a craven. It yeah, is. Absolutely. It is. It is a little bit, yeah. Um, and so basically, I think we could have her show one face to Finway and the other to Indus, Right where where we can see, and Indus could even could even sort of gently say like, "Are you going to just give up in despair? Are you just going to run away from the consequences of what you've done?" Um, so that we know that this is a this is a tricky this is a, uh, um, and then yeah. So I I I think as long as we show that, but then last question. There's an obvious parallel which, from a distance, is awesome. Right between Calabrian's situation and uh, uh, and and Muriel's, right the the whole like I can't find healing for myself situation, um, but if, but obviously the parallel is potentially unsettling. It, you know, going the way that we're going with Muriel's character, which seems great and almost inevitable, but um, I. It's going to really color if we're if in the frame we're showing Arwen is at peace with Calabrian's choice, you know that she couldn't find healing in Middle Earth and really had to go to Valinor. That's the parallel doesn't work with Muriel, right? Because in the end, I think I think we'd have to say the story. Unless Arwen's wrong. At the end of the day, Muriel failed. She was wrong to do what she did, and she failed. Um, We don't want to say that about Calabrian, do we? Or suggest that about Calabrian? Well, in in a way, in a way, what she what Calabrian does do when yeah. she leaves Middle Earth, in a way, it's it is a giving in to to despair. In a yes. way, um, you know, could, would she could she have gotten better over time? We don't know. Right. Right. Um, we just know that she didn't. And um, and that she that she didn't find any healing here in Middle Earth and and left. Right. Um, but you could make the case that well, maybe she should have hung in a little bit longer. Yeah. You know, we we don't know. So there there is there is I feel like you can kind of go either way on that. I wouldn't want to hit it too hard because mm-hmm. you have to feel. You have to feel um, pity for a person in that situation. You know, um, it's not exactly like like a suicide, but right, no, no, exactly. it, 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 but it is. As, it's especially complex, as Marie was just pointing out. You know that remember the the sort of it's going to be hard for people not to think about postpartum depression. I mean, any woman who has suffered from postpartum right. depression is going to be, you know, kind of relating to Muriel here in her, yeah, in her despair. Yeah, of course. Of um, course. Well, and and the thing is that you you don't like you can have you can have mercy on somebody like in your judgment of them, mm-hmm. understanding that that maybe they just couldn't 
do any better yeah. themselves. Yeah. You know, and that's okay. That's there's not that doesn't make them an evil, horrible person. Muriel is not a terrible person for for this choice that she's making. She's making a wrong choice, and but it's easy for us to kind of armchair quarterback that yeah. in a way. Well, exactly, and and it's the thing. I mean, in one of the th- one of the ways, like this is the Silmarillion, right? And the Silmarillion, right? It's, it's not we're, we can't shy away from showing people in very difficult situations making wrong choices because that's right. what happens, you know. Um, right. And yeah, like we can sympathize with Muriel. I, I think, I think you guys have done a great job of setting her up as a really sympathetic character, but that doesn't change the fact that at the end of the day, she, she, she was wrong. You know, she, she, right. she, she did not do it well and that's okay. I guess good. I mean, that's, that's, you know, we can't, um, we can't be near the pandy about that. Um, right. but, uh, yeah. So, so maybe kind of holding it ambiguous at the end of the episode, right. About Kalerian, yeah. that is to say, right. Um, where she, Arwen is kind of at peace with it or she's sort of, you know, but it's still kind of an open question. Does this suggest that Calabrian was wrong to leave middle earth? Well, I think it's a very debatable subject, right? Maybe she did give it, right. maybe it was wrong. Um, right. I don't know. Uh, but, but at the very least Arwen can, can at least come to an understanding that her mother did the best that she could. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. All right. Well, we're roaring through what uh, yep. episode seven now. No problems. Um, <laughs> uh, I like the Indus fan or conflict. I think that's really, I think that's really good. Um, this was a definitely a tough one. It is a tough one. I, I the, remember this being a very, very difficult. To... Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can easily believe that. Um, there are the biggest problem that I can see. Um, the biggest problem that I can see in this episode is, and this is not our fault. This is Tolkien's fault. Flat up. No question. Tolkien gave us this problem and we have to figure out a way to deal with it. Um, the second marriage. Um, how does Indus overcome both personal and cultural inhibitions? Right. I mean, it's one thing. It is one thing to say, because we talked about this before, right? We talked about this in the sense of, um, uh, uh, like marrying your dead friend's husband. Right. And like how that could, you know, so we talked about the dynamics of that. Um, that's an issue already. Right. So she has personal inhibitions against marrying Finway because she would, you know, like the the whole like I, you know, is it out of loyalty to her friend? Does she feel disloyal to her friend in marrying Finway? Is the relationship with her and Finway weird if she's just like, hi, I'm a surrogate for I'm like taking you over from my friend. Like it's just what is their relationship based on? It's lots of potential for weirdness there. Right. So there's there's that. Yeah. But then if we when we superimpose onto that the fact that it's deeply weird for an elf to remarry. In yeah. fact, it had been like, it's like forbidden for elves to remarry. Like this is a, yeah. this is a, this is a, this is a, a an actual taboo among elves. Right. Well, I think the, the, the focus for the weirdness is, is, is going to be a problem no matter what we do, because our audience is going to be looking at it as, well, this is weird. This is her best friend's husband, because we, in our minds have this idea that that's not Okay. Whereas I don't think that would have necessarily been an issue for the elves. It certainly wasn't an issue through most of history. Um, right. Well, the, the, the biggest issue, though. Oh, yeah, exactly. The, um, 
a modern audience would be looking at like so the proposition Sinway remarries and marries his wife's best friend the modern audience is likely to have problem with the last bit right right of that it's thing. the it's the value it's a values dissonance essentially exactly. is the problem the elves are going to have a problem with the first half of the statement right Finway remarries that's that whereas like a widower remarrying is not uh, weird right i mean of course like Often this leads to family issues, right? Kids are not always 100% supportive. So the idea of, like, Feanor being disgruntled and not liking his stepmom, this is a, the versus familiar territory emotionally and culturally, right? That's fine. But the El- like, it's unheard of, as Marie says. Like, the, the, there's, it, there's something, there is something like an actual cultural taboo against remarriage. So, but, and at the end of the day, I think... I think we've got to take that away because if it's a taboo, I mean, if it's an actual cultural taboo, there are very few excuses for breaking a taboo of that kind. The only one that I know of that's admitted in modern storytelling is unconquerable passion, right? Unconquerable passion leads you to, to, to transgress taboos. And there's a long history of that, obviously. But if it's not unconquerable passion, then what? And I don't think we are going to be showing Indus and Finway being like, I just can't resist. I am so madly and completely in love with you. I, I just like, you know, <laughs> cultural taboo be damned. Like, that's not going to be, that can't be their story. Right. That absolutely cannot be their story. And if, if not that, then what? We have made a calm and ra- rational decision and we have decided to eschew the cultural taboo because Why? I owe it to Indus reasons because I still really want kids. I mean, there's no good reason for that. Um, that that is the reason. Yeah, I think that is like the, I I don't know. I can't think of any other good reason for Finway to do this other than the fact that he still wants other children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mario, I agree. We don't want to have Indus already pregnant with Fingolfin when they get married. Oh yeah, dear, we we, we 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 don't want to go there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Ingwe with the shotgun. This is so totally what we want to avoid. Um, <sighs> well, one of the things that we did do, one of the things that we did was try to set up her as, as a, as a queen figure. Right. He's impressed by her. It's not just, she's very beautiful, which yeah. obviously she is, but she she impresses him and yeah. he he wants he 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 wants that as part of of his in in his family essentially like he she adds something to when when she comes she comes to stay with him for a while right to kind of you know check in on everything and she intervenes in situations like, for example, there's there's a, a labor dispute with the Teleri because they're building Aqualande and the Teleri keep putting things where they don't go and it's driving the Noldoran craftsmen and forming crazy um, because they work very differently. The way that they think about things is very different. The Noldor have the plan and they're following the plan and the Teleri are just like, well, we can just put that there. Yeah, we'll just put that there. And and that's completely, completely makes sense to them. Um, where it, so there's this labor dispute that's going on, 
and Indus is able to bridge the gap between the two cultures. Right, right. I, um, I mean, I like the idea of Indus being a good queen as well as being like the personal connection with her being, you know, her being Muriel's friend and, and the devotion that she feels to Finway, which like she sort of got from her friend, right? That she's, you know, uh, I, 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 I like that. I think that all works really well. It's still not enough to break a taboo, a cultural taboo. Be like, but I really admire her as a person and a queen. Therefore, I'm going to break the cultural taboo. Like, it still doesn't work. So, this is my suggestion. I think the only way to solve that problem is simply to make the cultural taboo post-date their remarriage. Their remarriage can be the the reason for the taboo later on. People can be uneasy. It's never happened before. So yes. People can be uneasy. Yeah. Right. We yeah. can have several people kind of weirded out by it. Um, be like remarriage. Right. We're getting married to a second person. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Um, but you know, but they, but people are willing to be open minded, and Indus and Finway are 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 are, are keen. Um, Feanor, see, it's interesting because of course Feanor is the main person for the the main spokesperson for the like I am uncomfortable with this situation, but he is so obviously biasedly uncomfortable with the situation that and but 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 ironically, some of his uh, presentiments turn out to be quite true. Right. Well. well- what we could do with this is like, n- this has just never come up before. Nobody's ever tried to do this right, before. Exactly. And so, exactly. so they, the, the elves do go to, to the Valar for a judgment on this. And the, the Valar say, okay, in this case, we're going to say it's okay because Muriel says she doesn't want to come out anyway. <laughs> but in the future, you can't do this. Well, I think, I, I don't even think it needs to be a law. I think that there can be uneasiness and uncertainty. Is this a good idea? No, no. I'm saying that to, it starts out as just people right. are, are uncomfortable with right. it. and But it, it, like, it should get up to the valor because we do kind of need to address the whole Muriel choosing to remain in Mandos for eternity thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and and you know, Marie asks if they need the Valar's permission. The I, the, I, the 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 idea that there would be enough uncertainty about this that they might go to the Valar about it seems perfectly just. Um, and uh, but anyway, what what I'm saying is though, as far as the cultural taboo is concerned, people are uncertain, people are uneasy. Everybody decides to go along with it, um, and everybody kind of reconciles themselves to it, except for Feanor. In retrospect, later on. After the fact, when the whole thing happens and we get the strife between, you know, Feanor and his half-brothers, basically the elves are going to decide after this that, okay, you know what, on balance, having looked at what happened here, this was a bad idea. So we're not going to do this anymore. So if there is a cultural, an actual taboo against remarriage, it should come from this. It should be inspired by what happened here in retrospect. Um, but we don't need to, we don't need to make, because again, I just, I can't see it. I cannot possibly yeah. make sense of transgressing an active taboo under these circumstances. Yeah. Um, because again, this is only passion is that only is the only one answer that we have as a culture to that question. Why do you break a, a, a major taboo like that? Um, Unless, like, for gain, maybe, I suppose. Like, if the, if the ends justify the means and you're trying to achieve something. But, but again, that's not relevant. So, 
So yeah, I just can't see it. I just can't see it uh, happening. Yeah. But I can see basically the whole Finway, Muriel, Indus, uh, fall of the Noldor. Like they remarried and like look at all the junk that happened after that. You know what, folks? Let's just not do this anymore. That kind of makes more sense that that would happen organically, basically. Um, and uh, and I don't think we need a couple of people were talking about uh, you know the 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 Valar and their relationship with this and the, the Valar kind of making judgments. I don't think the Valar need to make a judgment about this. I don't think we need a proclamation about remarriage. Um, they can just seek them, for, just go to them for advice. You know, somebody. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't even have to be Finway. In fact, maybe it, it could be. be. Ing, it, it could be Ingwe going consulting yes, them Ingwe. about yes, it. Of course, yeah. it would be Ingwe. Her dad, yeah. right? Her dad, yeah. who is the high king of the Vanyar and and pretty tight with Manway and Varda, goes to Manway and Varda and is like, uh, so have you heard the crazy thing my daughter wants to do? Like, what do you think? Right. Yeah, and yeah. then and uh, you know, and Mandos is there and he doesn't say much and you know, it's well, we we do need to get that Muriel gives her blessing in a way yeah. like we need to give that we need to give that information yes up. yes um exactly. that Miro has no intention of coming back and it's because ingway's got to bring that up right i mean uh, brian was pointing out like uh, brian yoder was saying some people could even point out that his first wife is right there like she's right over there right it's not even she's not dead and gone Right, she's just she's not available. <laughs> she, 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 she's unavailable, exactly. Right, but 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 Marie, exactly with the her her pledge never to come back. And who's gonna who's gonna report? It's got to be it's, it's got to come from Mandos, right? Um, right, it's got to come from Mandos. So 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 we we need a, a basically a conversation between Ingwe comes to consult Manway and Varda, and Mandos is there, and so Mandos can say no, she's never returning. Um, you know, and she's uh, taken up the service of Vire or yeah, you know something choice, like the that. Choices, the choices, the you know, the choice is there. It's like you know, M- M- Mandos of course is going to tell him whether or not it's a good idea, but he is going right. to say that they're free to choose. Because why would he? Right, exactly. That's not his thing. Um, <laughs> so uh, okay, that's 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 good. Um, is there anything? Because I mean, like we have a couple of rapid fire weddings here. There's yeah. kind of no way around it because that's the timeline. Exactly. Yeah. 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 A lot of time has to pass. Um, uh, I um, I like the um, I, I love the tag at the end. I just want to read the tag, actually. Uh, uh, Maton's workshop. Nerdanel is carving a sculpture of a swan, which I love, while Feanor is working the forge. The camera focuses on Feanor's resolute face, reflecting the firelight of the forge. The shot fades into one of Feanor's face on a tapestry, also with firelight reflected on it. We see that Vire is looking at the tapestry, tears streaming down her face, show a glimpse of Muriel in Mandos as well. Um, yes, the juxtaposition, with and, and we've just had the swan dream from Olway in the previous episode, right? Uh, loving it. Okay, not the previous episode. It was the one before. But anyway, yeah, I love it. Love it. I I'm, I don't remember where this came from, but I'm pretty sure this was not our idea. Yeah, I, it's great. <laughs> it's great. Well, whoever's idea it was, it's awesome. I think this works really, yes. really well. Again, I love Vire every time she comes in. Uh, the foreshad- I Somebody I, speak up and take ownership of this. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's a good idea. Uh, but um, 
but I love the I love the juxtaposition there. I love the fact that like his relationship with Nerdano itself is kind of made to look a little questionable. Like, is is this a bad idea? Like, is this a? It's not a bad idea, of course, right? But um, but it's uh, it, it's gonna be it's gonna it's was my idea, Marie? No way, really. I uh, I think it was. Okay. Well, cool. See, that's the great thing about uh, about being so forgetful is that you come at ideas like it's. You know, you can be objective in assessing. This ideas. is such a great idea. I wish I had thought of this. It is. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. So, Grant, I would have wished that I'd thought of it even if I hadn't. So, uh, so cool. Yeah. So that's awesome. So anyway, I, I, I like it. I, I like the kind of the uncertainty about Nerdino because Nerdino is going to look like not exactly a rebound, but she's she's somebody that he flees to. Because he yes. wants no part of Indus, right? And so that could look yes. like a bad idea. Like, we know Indus is really good. And so now he's, like, running around with this girl. And how's that going to work out? And and, uh, and 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 we get this obvious right. foreshadowing. But, of course, it turns well, out she's great, right? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. We talked about this during the session, how the, it's funny because the idea of, Indi, of, of Fintway marrying again isn't going to seem weird at all to uh, to a modern audience, right. but that's the thing that the elves are, are really weirded out by. The fact that Feanor and Nerdanel get married at a very get married very young, they have kind of this whirlwind romance. Right. The el- to the elves, that's that makes perfect sense, but to a modern audience, people are going to be like, eh, they're a little young to be making life decisions. Right. 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 I know they're only like like a couple hundred years old at this point. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can't rush into things. Yep, no, I like that. I, I, I think that all works really well. Um, let's talk about episode. Let's at least begin talking about episode eight. I, th- and I think we can yes. do a bunch of episode eight. I, I, I will. I will relinquish my ambitions to get to episode nine. The um, episode eight, I think, was one of the first episodes where there started to be some some friction. Okay. Um. So basically, you, you guys had asked us to. The problem we had was that you guys had asked us to not have elves at the at the trial which yep. which is, is doable that's fine um, and yet if we do that the elves are not introduced to the main conflict of the episode until like halfway through right which which dramatically and and, and cinematically doesn't work so what we wound up doing was to ha- to shift the protagonist of the episode from being one of the elves to being Melkor. Uh-huh. So I'm very curious how you guys felt about that. I liked it generally. Okay. I think um, I I didn't have a problem with it. Um, uh, set to have the yeah having the action kind of center on Melkor all the way through. I think worked well. I like that choice yeah. in general. Um, there are two main things. Okay, three. Three main things that I would. Three main topics that I would want to talk about about this episode. Um, one is Melkor's actions at the trial. The second is uh, Tolkas afterwards, and the third is the frame juxtaposition with Gollum. Um, I, I I loved the Tolkas's detective thing. That was freaking hilarious. Yes. That was absolutely yes. great. Um, and I loved the the way that okay it makes him look it makes him look I mean he's well intentioned but not that bright um, mm-hmm. and 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 the way that it wrong foots the people who are opposed to releasing him right um, yeah uh, I I thought that I thought that was 
I thought that that worked. I mean, it's it was cool. I liked it. Um, one really important point, though, is the uh, the trial. Yeah. Um, he shouldn't try to excuse himself. Yeah. Okay. He shouldn't try to excuse himself. He should be looking not for excuse, but for, he should be asking for forgiveness. I think his whole angle at the trial is, I was wrong. I see the error of my ways. I, 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 I repent, and I am sorry, and I, and I ask for your forgiveness. Yes. The response of Manway and Niena to that appeal um, is clear. If he's trying to excuse himself... If he's like, well, there were extenuating. I know I probably should have, but I didn't. Yeah. And I, I regret that now, but it was, you know, a little bit out of my control. I mean, if he's if he's making excuses, then he's not repentant, right? He needs to embrace what he did, or appear to embrace what he did. He needs to appear to repent, and and that's what because that's when if, when it comes down to you, you wanted a conversation between Olmo and Nienna at you know near the end of the episode, um, and. Nienna, like basically what it, what what that has to come down like if he asks for, I mean if he professes repentance and asks for for forgiveness like it doesn't matter like we might think it's a mistake to forgive him but forgiving him is the right thing to do he's asked for forgiveness we should give it to him that doesn't mean we have to trust him but but you know completely um but if but we can't deny him forgiveness agreed um however if again, if, but if we're talking about excuses, you can not believe his excuses, you know? right? Uh, and right. That, that puts the whole thing on a totally different footing. So he just needs to be completely, um, completely repentant, right? Completely. Yes. Uh, uh, and, and and I think, but see, but Maria, I think he has to start there. I really do. I mean, if he if he if he does even the least bit of excuse of excusing, right? Because um, I mean that that's those that's a it's a it's a major distinction. The, the, Excusing and and forgiving are two fundamentally different things, and there's no overlap between the two of them. If you excuse someone for something, you say it's not your fault. If you forgive someone for something, you say it is your fault. But I I'm not going to hold you. I'm not going to I'm not going to continue, you know, being angry at you for that. I'm going to release my anger and my right of vengeance against what you did. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a problem. I mean, I'm just having this this conversation one of my children actually you know like when uh, when i was uh, i was uh, uh urging uh him to 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 forgive someone and he said very naturally but what he did was wrong and that's not okay and i was like yes that's why you have to forgive him not excuse him right it's not to say what you did was okay it's not to say i think it's fine or i or i i uh you know i don't blame you you do blame them that's why you have to forgive them so again this is where i think it is i mean it it, it has to be kind of one or the other excusing or forgiving if he's going to argue extenuating circumstances then basically what he's saying is i'm not fully culpable and the valor are not going to agree that he's not culpable like that's a losing case with the Valar. And if the Valar did accept that case, they would be stupid. Um, but right. well, if that's not case, his case, if he fully accepts guilt and says, I repent and I've changed and I've seen the errors of my ways and I promise I will work with you in the future, that's, you know, then you can have the people who say, I don't believe him and I think he's faking. And you have others who say, I believe him, and you can have others who say maybe he's faking, maybe he's not. But we—it's important that we give him the benefit of the doubt. Right. The the case of trying to make excuses would have been made 
when they first when they first uh, took him. That I can see. Yes. Um, yes. I I think the thought here was to kind of give the give the trial a little bit more uh, a little bit more movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I agree that any time that he makes this an excuse, it makes it more difficult for for him to convince us that he's repentant. Yes. Yes. Because he's not only trying to we're not only trying to convince the Valor here, we're trying to convince us yes. that he is yes. genuinely repentant. Well, exactly. And because because those two things again in in both directions, right? Um, if if you're on the part of the person who has been wronged, right? Uh, excusing and forgiving are two fundamentally different things. On the part of the person who has done the wrong, right? If they are asking to be excused or asking to be forgiven, those two are diametrically different things. Like they just, you can't do both. Um, if you're asking to be excused, then you're saying, I'm not responsible. So you can't both repent and ask for forgiveness and also attempt to excuse yourself. Um, so therefore, yes, it's not, it, it wouldn't really be possible for the Valar with any kind of wisdom or justice to hear both of those things. I repent, but it wasn't really my fault. Anybody who says that is not really repenting, right? They've not really accepted what they did wrong. Um, so, so he can't do that. And remember, it's not a trial. It's a parole hearing, Right. It's not a trial. So we don't have to have... I, I'm, I would actually be fine with making the trial scene quite short. It could indeed be little more than them asking him, you know, like his perspective and him making a speech wherein he, you know, says what it, that he did wrong and that he, uh, and that he repents. And it can be super moving and he can be super convincing. Um, but... Uh, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think, um, I think that's. Well, Brian Federini says he, they, they just had a they just had an earthquake uh, in the middle in the middle of that. Uh, Brian, do you think it was a sign? Uh, if earthquake probably means I'm right, right? I assume that's what that means. Wow, I hope everything's okay over there, Brian. Um, Almost certainly, that's what it means. Yeah, yeah, it's I figure. Definitely not coincidental. I figure. Yeah, that's. Uh, um, but, um, but it could see, also show that the um, it could also show that the Valar are displeased with um, Melkor's defense. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but see, Marie, I don't think he has to. Like, Marie is asking the question about like, is he admitting wrongdoing for everything? Like, is is is, is Melkor going to cop to the dis- to the to the to the destruction of the lamps and everything? I don't even think we have to go there. I don't think we have to itemize it. Um, you know, he's been found guilty of the charges. That's why he was in prison, right? Again, his trials already happened. His parole is not about the facts of his case. His parole is about his attitude. And his attitude can be general, not specific. He doesn't have to, uh, he doesn't have to talk about, they don't have to review the particular things. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, um, yeah. and while I know that there had been reticence to show interior scenes of Mandos, uh-huh. I felt that showing him locked in Mandos and and kind of like showing that he's been there for a while right. goes a long way to selling this idea that you know that he he may be repentant. Sure. That his sure. repentance may be genuine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, having this uh, um, 
this kind of ambi- it, it, this would be a really difficult piece of acting uh, by our person whose name I forget uh, who is Michael uh, Fassbender Michael I'm confident Fassbender, yeah. he can do it yeah oh, yeah that he would have to he would, because basically like the, the as he is you know there in solitary confinement in Mandos he would have to look uh, in such a way that would be could either be like I am stewing in prison, but also like I am thinking over my deeds and and, and introspective. And, yeah, it has to be introspective in a way which can be ambivalent uh, in that yes. way. Um, yeah, yeah. Because um, it's not like they're watching him on CCTV or something. Oh, right. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, and Brian Yoder asks, "Are we getting an old, frazzy-haired, long-bearded, unkempt prison jumpsuit, Melkor?" No, not exactly. Uh, I mean, in fact, I think we should show very little of his conditions, right? I mean, like... I agree. Maybe yeah. even just kind of him in the darkness, essentially. Um, we we had, we had thought of kind of like darkness. a dark version, a dark version of the arming room in The Matrix. <laughs> Where, like, there's no, like, there's no apparent walls. Right, 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 yes, yes. Um, in fact, it could be reminiscent of him in The Void, Yes. Uh, back in season one. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, of course, a really interesting parallel to make, right? Because when he yeah. was in the void, uh, I mean, he went into the void on purpose, right? It was part of his ambition going into the right. void. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah. And this way, there's no corner for him to be doing push-ups in. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, he doesn't need a pull-up bar or anything. Um, uh, and he will, have rec- he will have gotten no tattoos. Um, yes. The... Other thing I, I really liked um, conceptually, I love how – so this – in the frame of this episode is where you were doing the um, Arwen and uh, – it leaves Lorien and, and goes to the woodman and uh, they hear about some dark creature that has crept out and is, is uh-huh. stealing babies. Um, I really like that. I mean, that's, that's a really kind of ominous parallel. I mean, I, I, I felt like it was the parallels were a little bit underdeveloped. Um, mm. But. Uh, um, Trying to figure out where that where that was. It, that, OK. Because um, she, she's still. It's not until the next episode, right, that she actually does the healing thing or does that happen here? Honestly, I'm really lost on where we are with the frame at this right. point. But um, that, it, yeah, that makes sense both both ways. Um, yes, I think it was. Yes, it was because the next the frame yeah. of uh, episode nine is the mirror of Galadriel frame, which it's just as well that we didn't get to that because I have a whole heck of a lot to say about the mirror of Galadriel, and we'll what that that will be a good opening for next time. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I can take the first half of the episode uh, semi-irrelevantly rambling on about next session. So that'll be good. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, so the, the juxtaposition is nicely ominous, right? I mean, as I was yeah. saying before, we're not actually trying to deceive the viewers. The viewers know about Morgoth. What I want is something that will like enable them to suspend disbelief about him. I want his yeah. story to be plausible all the time such right. that maybe the seeds of doubt are sown, right? I don't want people to be like, wow, I'm totally convinced he's awesome now from episode eight onwards. 
What I want right. is for them to believe that he's, you know, for them to be on Olmo's side, basically, um, you know, almost like their hero and speak like, you know, the, the one whom there's who is speaking aloud the audience's own reservations about the choice to let Melkor go. And yet their expectation that his villainy is going to be revealed is going to be like continually postponed and continually postponed. And I want to make sure, again, my only goal is to make sure that his actions are, it is plausible that both the Valar and the Noldor can react to him in the ways that they do that, that because that's, that's what matters. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to conserve Melkor in the minds of our audience. I'm not trying to recoup, to resuscitate him in their, in their opinion. What I am trying to do is preserve their opinion of the Noldor and the Valar. Mm. Um, and not to be, cause I mean, we've all been there, right? We've all been there on TV shows where we're like, how could you be so stupid? Like, why are you doing that? It's obvious he's a villain, right? We don't want people shouting that at their screens for the whole second half of season two. Um, uh, we want them to be, they, they can be frustrated. They can be like, oh, but, oh, it's so insidiously awful, like what he's doing. Uh, and I can see how, you know, these other Elf and Valar characters whom I like and respect are being deceived. But, um, but it, it needs to be, it needs to work. It needs to be plausible. It needs to, they, it needs to be able to hold. Um, again, the point is not to try to hoodwink our viewers. Because they've seen in season one enough to be able to know that it really to be able to be on Omo's side, and Omo is voicing that overtly, right? So yeah. we have that point of contact. With him. Um, I just don't want him to be. It, 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 I don't want him to become a cheesy villain, and I don't want that because again, remember thinking back to where I started with digression with my long digression about Sauron. He's not had his destruction of the lamps moment yet. Yeah. Right. It's going to be the destruction of the trees. Um, So basically, I would. Morgoth himself, Melkor himself, is theoretically redeemable still. I mean, it's possible. He could do it. He could repent. Um, After the destruction of the trees and the burning of his hand, I don't think he can anymore. Um, uh, And that that that's a Tolkienian thing. Like that, there does come a point where like you've passed the point of no repentance. Uh, that's what happens to Gollum on the stairs of Carathungal. Um, I would argue that's what happens to Sauron in Numenor. That's what happens to Morgoth at, at the destruction of the lamps. That's what happened to the Balrogs at the de- or no, sorry, Balrogs at the de- destruction of the lamps. Uh, Morgoth at the at the at the death of the trees. Um. So, so yeah, I, it's it's it is a very real possibility. He he, he it, it it is possible he could repent. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and I do like the ending of the probation at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, how, you know, the, the idea of him sort of like doing something to really earn their earn their trust sufficiently so that they, they see like he really is working for the good of the people. One thing right. I, the, my, the one thing I would say, the, the things you guys have him do, like the public works, that he's kind, of doing, <laughs> are kind of blue collar, right? Well, that, that was, that we, that was actually a deliberate decision. Um, being that, so he's got the, he's got this, this bracelet on, right? And it's the, it's the same link of the chain that he used to, to lock down Aonway, uh, way back in season one. 
Right. And so basically what it does is it restricts he, – he doesn't have access to his, his elemental power. So, like, any time that he approaches Aule with, you know, well, I want to do this, and, and Aule's like, well, you have to do that with your own two hands, so good luck with that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's, we're deliberately making him actually work for this. Okay. okay. So, uh, again, what, so you know, the very when... humility of those actions is a good sign. Right. The fact that he's willing to undertake humble public works projects for the benefit of the people. uh, Right. He's not supervising. He's actually doing this with his own two hands. Right. And, of course, uh, it's only been exactly one season ago. Well, okay, a couple episodes more than uh, one season ago that we had him in charge of the construction of the lamps. Right. Right. Um, so doing public works projects is a thing for him. Um, and of course, a thing which had a history like that was the big warning sign. Right. When, right. Uh, when and, and, and it was his pride. Right. It was his arrogance and his desire to be and his friction with Aule. Remember, I mean, that that, right. that was all there. So and he also didn't physically do anything to right. to build right. the lamps. That's, That's another it, thing. Exactly. He, he didn't. He, he didn't have a personal hand in their building. He just he was the foreman. Was yeah right. He was trying to run the show. Yeah. Um, so there's that. We did. We had a terror of a time trying to find things for him to do that would be helpful. That would also fit in with the Tolkis as detective thing because we had to give <laughs> him that. We had to give the project a dangerous element that he had to acquire from Alley so that so that Feanor could be present. With it, when Tolkis asks Sally about this, so that Feanor can 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 say, "Well, that's dumb. You shouldn't have given that because it's super dangerous because of this." And then Tolkis goes and smashes it. So it had to be something that was smashable and had a dangerous element that he would get from from Ali. So that was very very difficult. Yeah. It, it we we only within the past week I think were able to find things that worked. So. Yeah, it's tricky. I do, I do acknowledge that that's tricky, and I do kind of like, especially with the parallel to the lamps. I think that works really well to sort of, you know, um, it would work really well as a kind of test case to see how much he's really changed. Um, yeah. Uh, um, right. So, and having Tolkis break it is just that's yeah that's fantastic. I think. Yeah. It is. I like it. Oh, I, the the Tolkis the Tolkis smashing and and the and the 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 incompetence of Tolkis as investigator. I, I really did kind of love that. Yeah, Maria, I hear what you're saying. Maria says she's not sure how she feels about creating engineering projects in Valinor to Melkor for Melkor to do. I, yeah, I, that was my thought too. But um, but it does make sense. Uh, I mean, I I I I see how it holds together. Um, mm. And especially, and there's not really a way around it either. Well, especially if we can do the, if we can be clearly evoking, uh, and you know, making a sort of parallel and anti-parallel with the construction of the lamps in the middle of the last season, I think that that could work really well. Yes. So, okay. All right. Um, uh, good. Good. Yeah. So, so I was, uh, I was, I was fine with all that. Going back to the Gollum thing, though. Um, of course, this gives a pretty clear. I mean, 
the parallel's a little bit lovely, right? Something dark and evil has crept out of a hole somewhere and is now inflicting suffering upon the community at the same time that Melkor is being <laughs> released on probation, right? I mean, yeah. that's that parallel's a little hard to miss, right? Mm. Um, it kind of works since it works again. I mean, it works in an interesting way since it works against everything that's going on in the episode itself, in a sense. Um, uh, I mean, maybe it even gives a, uh, uh, maybe you could even use it to build the suspense about the, f- it, it creates a false parallel, essentially. Like maybe we have Arwen, uh, we parallel Arwen as detective with Tolkis as detective, right? You know, she's trying to figure out what is the evil thing that is, you know, you know what, what is causing the suffering of the people as Tolkis is coming. And so it looks like, um, the fact that she discovers that it's the, that that it's you know this golem creature uh, at the same time that Tolkis discovers what he believes to be Melkor's insidious plot um, creates an interesting moment of like disappointment, right? That... If if there was more time in the frame, you could do like a like a almost like a a witch hunt. Yes, yes. Which That's... would kind of that parallel would be a lot better, but right. That's, of course, the big problem with this frame episode is that it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. At the end. Of the, well, or at least there's no resolution to it because, obviously, we can't have Arlen catch Gollum. Gollum has to be gone by the time she gets there. Um, yeah. And she's not going to go hunting him across all the lands. Um, you know, that's her, that's her future boyfriend's future job. So um, we need... Uh, we need... Not to go, but so basically, she's going to come back and she's going to focus on helping the woodsmen to heal, um, you know, and sort of helping them in their knee in their suffering. But she can't. So, if we get her too much looking into like the truth of the dark shadow that has been creeping into their homes, we're not going to have any resolution to that story. Could they be suspicious of her? Would that help? Yes. Strengthen the parallel. They would, wouldn't they? Yeah. I mean, think about the way that Aomer talks about Galadriel. Yeah, exactly. Um, And if she's able to find a way to win them over. Yeah, um, she's a sorceress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, you're, you're right. It makes perfect sense that that would be their reaction, especially people who have been suffering a mysterious, you know, a set of mysterious hardships. I mean, that is the kind of occasion on which people often will kind of look around for a witch anyway, and then here one shows up, right? Yeah. Um, um, if, if I mean, y- y- it would have to be done very quickly and very tightly and very efficiently. Yeah, because we, we, we um, essentially are one on trial. Right. We don't have, yeah, we don't have time for, for like a lengthy thing yeah. with that. But if she if she shows up to help them and they, you know, they, nobody wants to talk with her... People start accusing her, and she and and when we come back, she's able to find one person who's willing to let her help their their injured child, and yes, you know, yes. like that, that kind of thing. It, it actually that actually makes me think of um, you remember uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, where uh, Little John's wife is is in childbirth, and. Uh, Hazim, Morgan Freeman's character, right. I, I presume does a cesarean right. or something like that on her. Um, 
when it looks like Friar Tuck can, can't do anything for her. Right. It's right. kind of that. Yeah. In a way. I mean, it could work. I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm thinking what, what, what I can't help but do with these frame things. And it's one of the things that I love about the frame is the ability that the, the way that it enables us to kind of make these parallels and really kind of emphasize and echo the story in other ways. It kind of gives right. a, 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 a an additional dimension to the themes that we're discussing during the episode. Um, and what this would be. So if you basically think about the, the sort of the, the big picture outline of the, of the, of the frame incident here, uh, creature emerges from the shadow and enters the society and not only brings about immediate suffering to the people in the society, but, the, but also foments discord between two groups of people who should be trusting each other and getting along, right? Right. As an outline, that works well, right? As uh, as a kind of foreshadowing of what Melkor's emergence is going to do and the right. discord that he is going to bring. In the frame, we show it being healed, the breach, right? Yes. So, the, so it shouldn't be about... So the emphasis should not be about Arwen trying to figure out what went wrong because the creature's long right. gone. Um, but what right. it could be about is about... The, the, if, if the primary thrust is about trust or not, tr- do we trust or do we not trust this person? Um, because yeah. then their distrust of Arwen serves as a really interesting kind of foil for distrust of Melkor. Right, right. Um, and, and again, when I when I approach this episode, I approach it with the with the idea of I'm going to sell this. I'm going to find a way right. to sell this thing that I don't believe. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I like that. I like that. If, like, so what if there was a child who was injured by Gollum, like the last child that he attacked who escaped because, like, his parents came in and, 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 uh, chased him off before he could kill or right. drag away the child, but he is still, um, um, you know, he has still, uh, uh, you know, the child is injured and may die, and so she heals the child, and, uh, thereby wins the trust of the parents and the community. Uh, so we have so so that the sort of the climax of the frame episode there is um, is is reconciliation between right. her and the, and the elves or and the, and the woodmen. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah, that works. I like that. I like that. Okay. Um. Good. Okay. Um, okay. Well, that's good. We got through episode eight. See, everyone was all worried, and we got through episode eight after all. Um, uh, I because um, that's as far as we were aiming in the first place. Well, we were aiming for nine, but eight, eight's good. Oh, eight's yeah. perfectly fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can get them, you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm sure I will have beaten predictions. So, um, so great, excellent. So we'll pick up at nine next time, and since my Digression right. at the beginning next time will be much more relevant and less long than my. Mm-hmm. But I'm really glad we did the Sauron talk. I feel much better about it. Yeah. That. Um, yeah. So anyway, and, and, yeah. and next time we get to talk about hashtag Make Fingolfin Great Again. It'll be awesome. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be good. So so we'll do, we'll see if we can get all the way through all the way through 13 next time. That will be the highly ambitious goal of uh, of our next episode. We should be all right. Okay, good. Excellent. Based on past yeah. experience, I'm sure we can do it. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Confident. And don't forget, 
Nominations open for uh, nomination voting. Open. That's right. There's right. gonna be a bunch of people very excited. Discussion board. It's there now. Click open survey. Click 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 for your votes. Right. I, I know Marie is super excited. Yes, yes, and 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 I do want to want to to sort of reiterate as we've said before, uh, the outlines that we're discussing and that we're going to continue discussing next time. Excuse me, that we're going to complete discussing next time, mm-hmm. is um uh, are 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 available. Yes, they're on the they're on the they're on the forum. Yes, I think that what what we'd like to do is at some point have a have a separate forum thread that just has approved outlines. So, Alan, that you guys have have greenlit as you know, if somebody wants to to play around with them, they can, right? Um, because they are they are fully approved and ready for actual scripting. Right. If somebody wanted to do that. Right. Right. Sure. Sure. Good. All right. Excellent. Well, we will see you. Uh, uh, we'll, we, we, so we look forward to next time talking about uh-huh. episodes nine through thirteen. Thanks again, Nick, for joining us today and, and being the vocal representative of the script writing, uh, the, the script outlining crew. Uh, I appreciate all that. And um, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks very much. So we will uh, we will say thanks for listening and Godspeed.